0: Welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for the 10th installment of our Extra Lore series, recorded live on January 2nd, 2017 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Our topic for this chat is an exploration of the Mass Effect series. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sane 0516. Justin, what are your thoughts on the uh, topic for tonight?
1: I think it's a pretty cool looking game. I've I've never got a chance to play through it, but uh, I've watched my son play a little bit of Emmy oh. One. So uh, I'm looking forward to being able to continue with the facade that I know everything to him. So y'all are <laughs> going to teach me a little bit tonight, help me out my father's skills. So
2: nice, <laughs>
1: nice.
3: I'm amazed there was a facade.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a thin veneer. Okay,
4: I'm trying to keep this thing rolling. <laughs> It begins. Let the fourth
3: <laughs> annual Justin Roast Fest begin. I'm so sorry, dude.
0: It's okay. I
1: love you, really. It's okay. Love you too, bro.
0: <laughs> we also have with us a huge fan of the series, Mel. Mel, I know you probably have a ton to discuss on the styles and themes of the series later, but have any good teasers for us right now?
4: Mm. Not at the moment. Besides, uh Garrus's best space boyfriend ever. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start and end with that. Okay.
3: Because... Garrus is just Garris is just best space bro as well. Garrus just rocks. I agree is, that Garris is best companion. Right?
4: Yes, he is best companion.
3: <clears throat> we'll always take Garrus.
4: Be, be, best companion. <laughs> either next to you or in the sheets either either option is mm -hmm. okay
3: absolutely so
0: that just happened and
3: on that note remember guys mass effect is one of those games you can romance an alien
4: yes freaking cool it is amazing. I mean, like, you don't get to a romance and you don't get the wonderful scenes all like Witcher, but I mean, I guess you leave it up to the imagination. So. I was going
1: to ask you if the old dude from Witcher was going to be jealous. Okay.
4: <laughs> I have I have a couple in game game crushes. Uh, Geralt is up there. that was A definitely. couple. A cu-
3: just, I just have couple. like three. <laughs> you have two like times
4: totally three. You okay, so timer. so like. So like in order right now it is it is Garrus and then um um it's I really power like, rank okay yeah no this is this is <laughs> Mel's imaginary game boyfriend list okay <laughs> so well, this we could have be a YouTube series it could be a YouTube series so there's Garrus very top of the slot it's gonna take a lot to knock Garrus off. Um it was Dante from the Devil May Cry series, but Gerald is sliding in there and he's getting he's getting like way higher. So when I finish Witcher 3, there's a good, strong possibility he's going to knock Dante from his second tier perch. So,
0: mm. Wow. All know. of mine are, are, from are so Overwatch. many, so <laughs> many oh jokes my God. that you could make, <laughs> but we're not going to. <laughs>
3: I haven't I haven't even gotten into the fact that there's three people alone that are, it's, like, in Mass Effect, and that's not even getting into, like, Overwatch and other games, where it's, like, the Byfus, Waifus list expands to, like, 50 people.
2: Byfus,
4: Waifus? Oh, my God! Please make a video of Baifu's Waifus!
3: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: I have a shirt. I,
4: shot, actually maybe. Think, <laughs> I actually think my waifu list is probably longer than my husbando list I'm just gonna say
2: mm.
3: Wow. I'm
4: very, I'm very picky
3: there are, there are many strong waifus out there though. there there's are so many, many strong, strong waifus.
4: waifus there's it takes there's there's a high requirement threshold for the husbando list where the waifu list I'm a little bit more lax on like if you're really cute you're gonna end up on the waifu list <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> this is all great stuff by the way guys <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is deep ingrained <laughs> into the Mass oh, <laughs> lore.
0: Oh, yeah. So, so, of course, for a topic that I know virtually nothing on, we need to make sure we have someone who is well versed on the lore in addition to Mel so that there can actually be a conversation. Um, so, it is with pleasure that I welcome back our favorite Sultry Tiger. My name is Bife. Bife. Hey,
3: guys. It has Good truly be been too long. so freaking long. Good yeah. Beer. Yeah.
0: Ah. So how, wait, wait, wait. how is everything across well are you are you across the pond right now? I know we, we uh, have some of your I'm, friends in I'm the not... background. Okay,
3: so long story short, I'm on leave with my family in Barbados. And yeah, that's kind of, I mean, Mel, you asked what the noise was at the very beginning. Barbados has got tree frogs. They're the equivalent of crickets at night. So that's the sound you're hearing.
4: Oh, okay.
3: Tons and tons and tons of tiny, tiny tree frogs. <laughs>
4: Okay. Tree frogs. Got
1: it. Oh yeah. It's a yearly tradition. It it kinda is.
3: It is. Like Guardian Radio has now had this for three or four years going back. I mean, we've had a full like Star Wars episodes four till through seven of Guardian Radio episode, you know? A new croak. The frogs strike back. And you tree frog uh, something like that.
4: Oh, BX no, return
3: BX. of the tree frogs,
1: rather. And now oh we've BX. had the frogs awaken.
4: I was say, yeah. is the last one the tree frogs awaken? Is, is frog,
1: one? One. Mm-hmm. frog one. Frog one. <laughs> frog
4: or it, frog it, one. Or is it red? <laughs> frog one. Oh God. Frog
2: one
3: oh no that's the next one but no that's, that's, that's where I'm at right now and I, was, I had some time so on top of Guardian Radio I was like hey I'm going to do focus fire chat because normally my schedule is already so packed and now I get an opportunity to jump on and have some
0: fun so yeah yes. it. Was good.
4: Yeah, so, yeah.
0: so if, you, if you don't mind for those who live under a rock and don't know <laughs> which they should but if they don't where can we find you and what got you into Mass Effect
3: Oh, so the first uh, is you can find me on YouTube. If you just search my name is Bife, I will be at the top of the search list. Uh, I do YouTube stuff normally about destiny, but I'm branching out into Mass Effect Andromeda, which makes this podcast particularly relevant. I'm also on Twitter at my name is Bife, and I first played Mass Effect ages ago when a friend of mine recommended it to me. I was not the biggest fan of the first one just because I wasn't the biggest fan of that style in particular of third-person shooter RPGs. However, after seeing almost nothing of the hype for Mass Effect 2, I picked it up on a whim. And then I basically just said, "Mm, okay, let's give this a shot, see what happens. Four months later, I think I finished my second playthrough of the game, and I completed it on Insanity. I was so in love with Mass Effect by that point, and I thought nothing will ever be better than this in story terms. And thus far, I think only Bioware games have even come close to conquering that. And they do it so well with interpersonal stories. And That I consider as the point of me really getting into Mass Effect. Fun fact, by the way, to date, if my records are correct, and I say this with quite a bit of pride, I'm working on the ninth playthrough of Mass Effect that I finished on Insanity. I finished it eight times previously, and I have lost not a, oh, Mass Effect 2 rather, not Mass Effect, and I have finished every single one of them without losing a single companion. I play hard and I play for keeps.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> insane.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
3: So, so, yes. you picked a hardcore Mass Effect guy. So- yes. yes. So, That's yeah, what I was hoping. Did.
2: But
4: so To be to be fair, I feel like Mass Effect people is either you are or you aren't. And, like, the people, like if you're a Mass Effect person, you are a Mass Effect person. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like, almost everyone, like, I didn't actually play the games until, like, two years after Mass Effect 3 came out. And my friend just said, like, I oh, need to play, I need to play. And after getting prodded enough, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll play it over Christmas. You know, that's when things are kind of chill for me. And I seriously spent from, like, beginning of December until March, just nonstop, Mass Effect. Any free moment, Mass Effect. And I there were some moments, I think, after I finished it, the whole entire story finished it completely the first time. I had to take, like, three weeks to deal with a lot of emotions. So um, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be able to convey how... <clears throat> Impactful the story is and how Bioware is able to tell this tale um, of Shepard and and all the different things that they go through as a team. Um, but if you guys haven't played it, I know the first one's really clunky to get through, but definitely try to powerhouse the first through.
3: one is alone worth it for yes. playing Mass Effect two. Yes. Stop.
4: So I. If any of you are out there and you still haven't played it, you still got time to play it um, before Andromeda comes out. Granted, I don't think they're going to bring anything in terms of the lore of Shepherd's Tale and what's in those characters into Andromeda from what I have heard. But it is probably going to be referenced in terms of like what certain species are and all stuff of that nature, I would imagine. So, but... I would still pick it up. I'm still planning to pick it up again and play it again for the billionth time, probably in February-ish, March-ish, right before it comes out. So that way is fresh. But do it, is essentially what I'm trying to say, is play the games, Blue, Just Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, basically what I heard was it's like Assassin's Creed and Skyrim for me. Uh, no. 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 But I mean, no. like your your <laughs> obsession. Blue. No. No. Your your obsession with Mass Effect sounds like my obsession with the Elder Scrolls games. Like whenever. Oh yeah. Whenever it, it, it's whenever, whenever, Yeah. That's that's what I meant. Sorry. N- not that it. No. 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 Because no. they're they're definitely all three different completely. But I, but as far as like obsessiveness, that's what it sounds like. Oh be, yeah, absolutely.
4: To, to be fair, after I finished one, I liked it a lot but it wasn't until 2 when things started really like I was invested like full on invested I wasn't just like playing the game anymore to find out what how the story went and that's how I felt like a lot of 1 was but like 2 you start getting into the meat of it and like like, I love Skyrim and stuff like it's definitely one of my top tier games in like the whole entire lore around Elder Scrolls I love it but Mm -hmm. I feel like you can't build the relationships that you build in Mass Effect in any other game. Maybe maybe in the um on oh, the yeah. Dragon uh Dragon Age. Dragon Age series. Um I couldn't get but into even Dragon so, Age. So
3: that's another BioWare game, right?
0: right. So. right. BioWare has yes. kind of cornered the market on the the relationship. Because, I mean, when you what you were what you guys were explaining both before the show and just right now about the first game being so clunky and then playing it for the second game, that's what made me think Assassin's Creed. Because, oh Mm -hmm. my god, the first game was, mechanics-wise, terrible. And then the second game was amazing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, it was like two different games, it felt like. But that's what I've always told people when they ask me, like, do I start with the first one? It's like, yeah, you need to start with the first one because of the story. It explains a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a pain to get through.
4: I just feel like with the Mass Effect series, there's there has never been another game in video games that I've experienced on such a deep and personal level. And I know that oh, sounds yeah. really weird. No, that's but that makes
0: sense because I've heard that a lot too. Yeah.
4: And it, it, mm. it doesn't it doesn't just feel like Bioware is telling you a story. Like, you know, like you, you you love the you know, I love the story in Destiny. I love the stories that are in Assassin's Creed and stuff like that. Like they're great stories, but somehow you are pulled into the mass effect world and Shepard's story. And it's not just you're seeing Shepherd's story and like helping it unfold. You become shepherd mm-hmm. and you become so invested on what the choices are and what's going on and who your teammates are and your relationships with your team that it is, it is no, it is unlike any other gaming experience I have ever mm-hmm. experienced so, and I'm, and I know it's kind of, everyone says that about mass effect. And um, when someone told me that I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's just a video game <laughs> stuff. But then you play and then you go, excuse me. I, I, I need to have a moment because mm-hmm. something happened in this game that I don't know, I need to deal with it. So this is, this
3: is one of those games where when a companion dies, you will cry. And when you have a moment where you're reunited with the companion, when you thought Never see them again. You can stand up and legit start cheering, and you'll yeah. have moments with them eventually where it's actually like you sit down. It's like I could see myself doing something similar to this with a buddy.
2: Right, mm-hmm. it, it, right, right,
3: right, There is no other game to this day where I've been able to sit down and say, "That's my video game, bro." No one <laughs> knows exactly who I'm referring to. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. I I I, I, I thinking about the the stuff that happened and then like just the relationship with Garrus in particular I'm like I I start getting choked up about it already it just kind of like just thinking about it and thinking about how it ended I'm like gosh (laughs) see I need to breathe Mm -hmm. see what's see see what see what's going on I have to (laughs) breathe
0: well okay real quick before we get fully into the chat um, let me go through the few housekeeping notes just real fast so In our last XLR episode, we discussed the world of Borderlands. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat.com for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. With the Extra Lore series, we delve into a game series other than Destiny for a full month, giving the group a chance to get a feel for the other games that our community loves to play. We try to stream a recap of this month-long conversation in the first week of each month. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. These include Guardian Radio, the official podcast of the Guardians of Destiny, Guardian One, and Ghosts and Echoes, which also has the Destiny Audio Grimoire. Our next extra lore is going to be a discussion on the Legend of Zelda series. So be sure to jump into the Discord server and weigh in on that. With that, Bife, would you kindly start us off with a general summary on the information that we have about Mass Effect? I'll be in the middle of some calibrations, so please excuse me for a bit (laughs) of silence going forward.
3: I almost approve. I I almost approve that (laughs) you've never played the game
0: i just got dared. i, I don't I know what dared. to do with that i, I, I got I, dared so... to, to work that into the intro somehow okay, i have cool. no idea what that means <laughs> let's legit so i probably stuff. just completely embarrassed right. myself but it's worth it maybe i mean no
3: it's it's a good bro you'll find out one day one day little <laughs> um but that, no, so I think the most logical place to start with is talking about the fact that Mass Effect is a game that talks partially about humanity's discovery of space and exploration of space. And in order to really jump into the Mass Effect universe, we need to jump ahead 100 years or so. Realistically, it's closer to 132 years. And 2148, we're looking at humanity, which has sort of started to properly explore its solar system. We have... We've established some bases in everywhere except for maybe Pluto. And this is where things start to heat up. Because on Mass Effect, we discover something unprecedented. 2148 is where humanity discovers a Prothean relic, a cache of Prothean technology beneath the surface of Mars. The Protheans, as it turns out, are an ancient race that existed 50,000 years before we did. And then they just vanished for apparently no reason. But the technology that we uncover from this Prothean archive is something that pertains to element zero, which is a brand new element, needless to say, and Mass Effect field technology. This is kind of where the name of the game comes from. So what this is, effectively, is the technology by which civilizations in the Mass Effect universe travel the stars, but also do practically everything else. So... The way that works is this. Element zero, when exposed to a positive or negative electrical current, can alter the mass of itself and surrounding objects. So to give you an idea, let's say I expose element zero to a negative current that is going to then reduce the mass of surrounding objects, meaning that I could theoretically travel at supersonic speeds or even faster than that if I wanted. Faster, in fact, than the speed of light, and this is how FTL travel is achieved. Conversely, if you manage to expose element zero to a positive electrical current, it will then increase the mass of nearby objects, meaning that you can do all sorts of things like create artificial gravity or increase the mass of a round being fired from the cannon of a spaceship. Mass Effect technology is then discovered from humanity, but it's existed for a long time before that. And this is kind of where everything begins. Humanity starts to expand out into space. It eventually meets other alien races. I'm going to sort of briefly gloss over that because there's a lot of other interesting history stuff to it. You've got things such as the First Contact War, which is where humanity first encounters other races, namely the Turians, which are very militaristic. They're then asked, as the System's Alliance, which is the 18 most powerful spacefaring nations at the time, who all bound together, form a military force, mm-hmm. they are then encountering what's known as the Citadel Council races. So, you know, those are all things like, again, the Turians, the Asari, and the Salarians. All of these different aliens that eventually you will get acquainted with if you play Mass Effect. After all of this is done, they are invited to join Citadel Space, to have representatives on the Citadel, And that's something that I'll explain in just a second. Long story short, humanity gets involved in civilization more generally in this grand scheme of alien races. We have diplomatic ties, we start expanding into colonies, and all sorts of other cool stuff happens until 2183. This is where our character, Shepard, first really gets involved in things. Now, they've been doing things for quite some time before this. They actually have a full military history, which you can vaguely pick out. At the very beginning of Mass Effect 1, you know, you can pick whether you're something like, say, a sole survivor who is the last person to live through their squad and has had some serious emotional trauma. Or you can be a war hero who, for example, held off something like 10,000 Batarians on another colony. But you jump into practically the same situation every single time. These are the events of Eden Prime, which is supposed to be just a normal mission where you're testing out some systems on a new ship called the Normandy. And Eden Prime, a colony, actually just gets attacked by an alien race of machines known as the Geth. You go there, and it turns out the real purpose of your mission was, with the help of a Turian Spectre, I'll explain what Spectres are in a minute, was to recover another Prothean beacon. And again, this is a really big deal because think of the last time in you know 2148 when humanity discovers this Prothean technology. It jumps their technology ahead 200 years, it is the discovery of FTL travel. Any kind of information found in Prothean technology is really useful. It is the stuff that builds civilizations. And so Citadel Space wants to secure that before anybody else can. The beacon is saved, but then it interacts with Shepard in a way that nearly kills them. They do then receive a series of strange visions. Also, I, uh, wow, I'm so sorry. I got something wrong already here, guys. You're going to have to forgive me. I can't believe it.
0: Bear with, I with us. I said We're making Sarin some calibrations.
3: I, we are indeed making calibrations. I said that Saron was the one we aided. The one that we aided is a spectacled Nihilus, rather. Saron is the one that sets the geth on um, Eden Prime. And the first entire part of our mission is to basically prove that he's guilty after the Eden Prime incident, which we do eventually. God, wow. So sorry about that. I'm getting names mixed that up works. already. But no, we uh, go forth from that, and then we go to the Citadel itself. The Citadel is just a massive station in the middle of Citadel space. It's something that everything is connected to. People believe that it is, once again, Prothean and Origin. It's occupied by all these strange little pieces of technology that still aren't fully understood. And it is the center of all the governments there. So you've got the Citadel Council in particular of relevance, and that is three individuals that represent each of the three Citadel species that represent the Council. So again, Turians, Asari, and Salarians. And the long story short is the Council doesn't believe you at first. You then go ahead, prove that Saren is indeed guilty, they strip him of his position as a Spectre, and they make you a Spectre instead. Spectres, spectres well, Spectre stands for Special Tactics and Reconnaissance, and it's a branch of the Citadel government that has no rules. Quite literally, the agents of the Citadel Spectre Wing, they can act as you will. They will literally have no laws that bind them. They can do anything in the interest of Citadel space. And as a result, they're often seen as quite a scary force in the galaxy. Again, someone that is completely above the law. How would you guys Mm -hmm. feel about that?
4: (laughs) It's it's, there's a lot of power, and I think it's also very important to note that human race on the Citadel is not necessarily frowned upon, but they see us as a very baby race and that we haven't really paid our dues in, so to speak, mm. um, to be on the Citadel. Um, and the fact that we are pushed or that Shepard actually becomes a Spectre is, is such a huge deal. Um mm the fact that we now have a human specter and a human that we already kind of see as not maybe someone we really want as a specter, but now given pretty much carb launch throughout the whole entire galaxy to do whatever they want and not have really any severe consequences. Mm. Um, that's a lot of power. That's a lot of yeah, power. Yeah. And, and also, I think again, we on- see how it kind of corrupts someone a little bit later on, a little bit, right? How they are able to, carry out their their missions under the specter status and that's not saren saren <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so so they yeah. they enjoy yeah. they enjoy the sight of humans <laughs> on their knees that was a joke
2: <laughs> seriously
3: you need to stop looking up these references <laughs> come on you don't even know
1: who he is you don't even know you don't even know where that's funny Oh, man. I have no Do idea. you even Mass Effect, bro? <laughs> no, I
0: don't. <laughs> I'm literally getting private messages of like, different <laughs> lines to work into these. This is my contribution for tonight.
1: I feel like Listen, Justin Blue. Mm-hmm. I feel like Justin. Listen, when someone's yeah. doing the whole Cyrano de Bergerac, you're not supposed to announce it. You're supposed to like act like you are saying the thing. You know, you know,
3: like it never even happened.
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: It's like it's like an ARG. You deny the existence of the ARG Thank because you. that's the commitment to the ARG. But that, the... Um, so, yeah, again, that's why it's such kind of a big deal for Shepard to have become a Spectre. Uh, again, they're an expanding race, humanity. And they've been around in Citadel space, realistically, for just under 30 years. And there are other races like, say, the Volus or the Elcor or, you know, maybe even the... God, that's a good question. What race instead... I mean, Drell or Hanar, they don't have anywhere near as much representation as the humans all of a sudden do. It just shows how big it is to have a specter. So, yeah, it's a pretty serious note there. Your first mission as the specter, though, is basically just hunt down Saren, because you need to make him pay for what happened on Eden Prime. It was a whole colony that basically got destroyed. He tried to steal a Prothean beacon. But what's more is, in your investigation of Saren... You uncover a very strange audio log, which is buried from a Geth data core. It something recovered by a Quarian called Tally. She then becomes part of your squad and is a squadmate through the entire games. I from know that name. One all the way to three. So the log is a conversation between Saren and one of his partners in crime, someone called Matriarch Benezia. She's an Asari, a very powerful one. And the conversation goes, some like, Eden Prime was a major victory, the beacon has brought us one step closer to finding the conduit, which is Saren's line, and Benezia says, and one step closer to the return of the Reapers. Reapers is a point that's really debated over by the Council at first, but Shepard understands almost instantly, because his vision that he got when he nearly got killed by the beacon on Eden Prime, it actually shows synthetics butchering organics and Shepard realizes that this is a vision of the reapers wiping out the protheans he doesn't fully comprehend it just yet he hasn't seen the entirety of the vision but he really does start to understand that this is the real threat Saren and the fact that he's trying to bring back the reapers is going to be more than just problematic for humanity and the colonies that he attacks, but also will be problematic for everybody in Citadel space and the galaxy at large. So he then basically presses the council, says, you didn't believe me once. You should send something bigger off to Saren. You know, definitely care about these Reapers because, you know, sounds pretty cataclysmic. And then, of course, being the politicians they are, they wave it off. He is still given you know all the resources as a specter that he needs to go ahead and hunt down sarin this includes things such as a brand spanking new ship or well not really it's the ship that you were on before the normandy sr1 which again it's a special ship because not only is it as a frigate that was built by turians and humans so that's kind of a nice kind of dual cooperation thing especially since they were at war 30 years earlier but also, you've got the first major installments of stealth technology on a ship like this, which makes the Normandy like a really great covert attack vessel. It's also got a Human Alliance crew that you already know, with people like Joker, who's your pilot throughout the whole thing, Dr. Chakwas, who continues to be your doctor throughout the entire Mass Effect series, unless she dies for some reason. And yeah, you also have all of the previous teammates that you had. Now, when you go out into the world of Mass Effect in a much wider series of events, there's a ton of side missions. I'm not going to go into any of them because there's just... This is the thing about Mass Effect games. There is way too much to keep in your head all at once, and lots of it becomes relevant to the plot in the later games, but to recall every single little event and how it interweaves would be like trying to pick apart someone's knitting of a 400-thread-count Egyptian cotton sheet. It's just too much. You can't cover it. So, suffice to say, there are three major missions that you have to start off with. The first of which is you have to recover Matriarch Benezia's daughter. She potentially has information on Benezia. And, of course, it turns out that this is actually just a mission to recover another squad mate. And so you go ahead, after you've done this, you recover Liara who is your major squad mate. She's also an expert on the Protheans, which comes in very handy. She allows you to see your visions again from time to time. She is a potential romance character. Also worth noting again, she is indeed an alien. She is the she was like the poster girl, so to speak, for romance in Mass Effect, uh, at least Mass Effect 1. So, you know, interesting character to talk to on that front alone. Jump in, say hi guys. And gals, for that matter, because she does not care at all about gender. As yes. one should not. And anyway, like, after you've done that, you get a whole bunch of different things that open up there. You are attacked once again on that planet by the Geth. And so problems, needless to say. Your other two missions that you get, one of them is on a planet called Ferros. It's a human colony that once again is being attacked by the Geth. You go ahead and defend them there. And ultimately, it turns out that the corporation that's been based on that planet has found a creature known as the Thorian. And the Thorian basically is a massive ancient plant-like growth that has kind of survived for ages and is able to mind-control people. In short, it doesn't exist around you long enough for you to be properly indoctrinated and mind-controlled, but you do manage to kill it. But not before you manage to recover from it a cipher. Now, the Cypher, effectively, is just the imparted wisdom and language of the Protheans. It lets you understand more clearly the visions that you have. Then, after you're done with all of that, oh, gosh, the third planet that you go to is Noveria, and that's covered in ice. Again, there's another Geth incursion there, but this is where you actually find Matriarch Venezia. When you found her, she has been completely and utterly controlled, it appears, by Sovereign, which is Saren's ship. And this is a horrifying realization because she has no more free will. She is completely utterly Saren's slave, and you have to kill her. But on top of that, what's even scarier is that she's uncovered an ancient race that previously had been fought by Citadel space, known as the Rachni. Think of the Zerg or just the Tyranids from either the Starcraft or the 40k Warhammer universes, respectively, The Rachni are a little bit like that. They're a hive-like organic race that basically just floods into everything. Also, for you Halo guys, think of the Flood. It's a little bit like that, but they're much more intelligent. Now, you take on that crazy race, and you're given this dramatic choice to either save the last Rachni queen or kill her. So that's horrifying to start with. But after this, of course, you have then realized that there's another point at which you need to fight Saren. This is where your Vermeer mission happens. And Vermeer is the big point at which things really start to speed up. Turns out Saren has a facility there. He's breeding a race called the Krogan. The Krogan are uber powerful, they exist in our universe currently if we're in the shoes of Shepard. You even have one of us, yeah, one of your squadmates is a Krogan. His name is Rex. The Krogan here, however, are total tools and slaves to Saren. And the reason why he's been breeding them and why they fight for him so eagerly is because these Krogan are free from what's known as the genophage. Long story short, it's generic sterilization that was done to the Krogans to stop them from completely wiping out everybody in Citadel space. And this, you know, kind of was the end of the Krogan Wars. Yeah, that's a whole other episode unto itself. Like I say, there's these huge events that happen in the past of Mass Effect that, you know, if you look at humanity's timeline, we're still wielding sticks, and these guys are just going to war on galactic scales. So Mm -hmm. way, way, way too much to even just talk about it. But anyway, the Krogan on this planet, again, they're slaves to Saren and his will. After convincing Rex that he should indeed stay with us, hopefully, unless you decide to kill him, which is another option... You go ahead, assault Saren's facility. The plan is basically just plant a nuke inside it and blow it from orbit. When you do finally get to Saren's personal lab, you find a second Prothean Beacon there. This Prothean Beacon then completes your vision that you had earlier. When you have that full vision, you then have a conversation with Sovereign, Saren's ship. This is the most important revelation of the entire Mass Effect game. Saren, it turns out, is not the one in control of the entire situation. Sovereign is, and that is because Sovereign is not a ship. Sovereign is a machine. Sovereign is a reaper. Reapers, as it turns out, were not simply a machine race. They were massive machines, and they were capable of so much more than simply the Geth, who you know, can shoot guns and do all sorts of cool little combat stuff. But the Reapers are a force unto themselves. They are ancient beyond comprehension. They have existed for millennia upon millennia. And this is the point at which I think it's appropriate to jump into ancient history. But before we go any further, everybody with us so far. Any
2: yes.
0: big questions? So I just, I yes. yeah, go for it, Justin.
1: I'm sure yours uh, is more serious I, than mine. No, no, I have a question actually for Mel. Are you doing a uh, costume corner for this one?
4: Let's see how long this goes because this might go really long. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
4: And uh, if there's a little bit of time at the end, maybe. But
1: okay, because I actually it? had some some questions about Shepherd's armor, but we can uh, we can w- w- defer Shepherd
4: that. has three different versions of armor depending. Upon- that's
1: that's what I was going to ask the. You know, kind of. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen a lot of pictures of Shepard even before we found out we were doing this, and uh, his kind of iconic armor with the N seven on it is that mm-hmm. is that Spectre armor? Is that no? But I can explain what N sevens are, and it's kind of relevant. Given yes, that it's that's one what of the I. That's yeah. That's <laughs> the ultimate question: is what's N seven mean?
3: Okay, so N seven is basically just a human special forces group. N sevens get special training. They are selected from soldiers that um effectively have gone through a whole how, am I allowed to swear on this? I can I beep know. it up. Boop. Yeah.
4: They 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 seen some <laughs> places, like. a lot of it. A lot, a lot of it.
3: So it it kind of breaches into this idea of every single re- um unique brand of special forces, right? The Solarians have the special tasks group which is known as the STG for short. You've got guys like the—I say guys, gals like the Asari, who are an entirely female race. Again, those
4: uh, special
3: forces within them are either commandos or alternatively Asari huntresses, depending on the mm-hmm. professions they go into. You can even maybe view the Asari Justicars as that, but that's a t- kind of totally different thing. That's almost like a paladin type thing, realistically. Um, You then go into Krogan's and they have Krogan warlords. The Turians have their own kind of, I mean, their entire race is militaristic, to be brutally honest. But Turian generals and Turian assault squads in particular are known to be ruthless and one of the toughest militaries in the galaxy. And the humans, their answer to all of this and their equivalent is the N7 program. And it's worth noting again, N designates that they're special forces, and 7 designates the highest level of military training that they can get. In other words, your N1s through 6s, or sorry, N2s through 6s, I think it is. Um, Those guys are kind of like basic. N7s, they know everything. N7s are the toughest soldiers that humanity has to offer. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do the 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 Zerg races? Does the Zerg race do a Zergling rush? Um,
2: The Zerg race?
0: (laughs) I mean, they sort of
4: can. They do, yeah. They they do have the little. So, like the Arachnids, obviously they look kind of like a spider, um, if you want to, you know, Arachnids. So, there's at one point, depending upon if you save the Arachnid Queen or not. Um, you experience Arachnids again and then you see the little babies and then they, they will come after you when you try to fight. You so will try to kill you and it's bad. Yeah. And it's bad. So and then it you is get a and then, rush. Hmm. Yeah. You do get a zergling rush. So, but then, and then again, depending upon what your choice was, um, they will be relevant or irrelevant. Right. Um, right okay. Um, I and later mean, on even if game. you,
3: even if you choose spoiler alert, they, the, the the Reapers manufacture a queen, I think. Well, actually, it's not manufacturing queen. Technically, it's like they um, through shenanigans. Let's say there's some reasons why they can come back, and it's very sort of like, oh, okay, fine, I'll accept it because video game.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those those Goram
3: Reavers. Yeah, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but anyway,
0: to, <laughs> go to back into to the, the next serious bit, conversation.
3: It's all ancient history from this point to make Sovereign's conversation make sense. So we're going to go back to the beginning of the Milky Way as we know it. And the beginning of the Milky Way, the first civilization that we get, is ruled by a species known as the Leviathans. Effectively, they look just like reapers, but they live within deep oceans underneath. And they have mastered an ability, which means that they can control people telepathically. It is quite literally mind control. And as a result, they spread out throughout the galaxy on this simple ability. They create artifacts that allow them to more precisely control individuals to the point where they can control entire societies to a small extent. And all of the societies worship them and give them tribute. However, they cannot control the societies entirely. And This means as the lesser um, slave races develop, they are still cared for and they inevitably create... Machines, synthetics, things such as artificial intelligences, things kind of similar to the Geth. And this is one of the huge themes of Mass Effect, because it turns out that, well, as the leviathans get older and they see things go on more clearly in the galaxy, they realize that every single time a synthetic counterpart is made to a race like an artificial intelligence, every single time the synthetics and the organics will go to war and the organic race is destroyed. As they say at a certain point in a Leviathan DLC from Mass Effect three, tribute does not flow from a dead race. And so they need a solution to this. What do they then decide to do? They decide to create their own artificial intelligence, because that was such a great idea. Um and the Yeah, Spoilers, you can see not. You, Yeah, you can sort of see where this is going. Like And there's there's also a great thing of arrogance and hubris here for them to even believe that they would be unique. But the intelligence they create is given a single, um, you know, a single mandate and a single objective, which is to use any resources and methods possible or necessary to stop the extinction of organics by synthetics to allow life to persist. This intelligence eventually deduces that this is only impossible unless it creates a cycle of continuous extinction by which organics are harvested and made into synthetics in the form of reapers. And this is how the reapers begin. This is the start of the first great extinction cycle, and it ends with the creation of the first ever reaper. After all of the Um, leviathans, or almost all of the leviathans, have been hunted down. A reaper is created in their image, which is kind of like a giant space squid, if you look at it. If you literally search Harbinger and you'll see what I mean. And that is, that what I just named, Harbinger, is the name of the first ever reaper. And the thing is that every single cycle of extinction, which lasts roughly 50,000 years for the galaxy to repopulate and to have new advanced races rise, It ends with the creation of a new Reaper. And so you can start to see all of a sudden why this is so ominous and so terrifying. Not only because by the end of Mass Effect 2, you can see in a brief cutscene how many Reapers there are. And there are a lot of Reapers. But also, it means that this extinction cycle has been going on since the dawn of time. Since civilization was practically a thing, there was nothing before the Leviathans, as far as we know. And that's what's so horrifying. What's more, the Reapers eventually, and this explains why Matriarch Benezia has had some mind control stuff going on, the Reapers actually generate uh, a way of copying the indoctrinating mind controlling abilities of the Leviathans. And they turn this into a system by which they can not only possess that their the very thoughts and behavior of everybody who encounters the Reapers, but also they can create things called husks or, well, weird. The human versions, at least, are husks. And they're basically human frames and skeletons that have had all of their parts that were organic replaced with synthetics. They're kind of the equivalent of space zombies. And this is effectively all that you end up fighting in Mass Effect 3 is the various different kinds of husk that you get. So, yeah, that uh, in itself is terrifying. This extinction cycle has repeated itself all the way up to us. The races that have come before us, the prominent ones, like the uh, Floyran, I believe, is what they're called, and the Inasanan and, and the Prothean. Uh, let me just double-check that. Yeah, it's the Floyhan, rather, not the Floyran. The point is, every single one of them has gone through their own extinction cycle. The Mass Effect relays, which is what effectively lets everybody travel through the stars again, it's the big needle type uh, spaced installations that you can see they are, they were originally thought to be protheum, they're not, they were made by the Reapers to speed up the cycles and make them more efficient and turns out that everything has happened according to the Reapers' plans, consistently and now they're using Sarin to bring about the next extinction cycle and so Shepard's Mission all of a sudden has a whole new load of context Scary stuff. You are genuinely on a massive, crazy adventure, which requires you to save the galaxy, no joke, this time. Because if Sovereign is allowed to succeed, the Reapers will return en masse, and everyone is doomed to extinction.
4: Anyway, Velma
3: mission gets completed. That's coming. I
4: I think it's also very important to reiterate, the Council and all the government at this point in time does not believe that reapers are are a thing or anything like that so keep that in mind Mm -hmm. when we're having this discussion that that's a common thing that goes on for most of the games until like the very end. So,
2: Mm
4: -hmm. um, remember that all of the stuff that's going on and all the stuff that Shepard learns is literally on Shepard's shoulders. Like they, he or she has no one else to really turn to or to like ask for aid. So it's, it's up to Shepard and his or her crew to save the galaxy. So just remember that.
1: (laughs) I've actually got a question. Uh, how long are these extinction cycles or these extermination cycles were.
3: The exterminations, they—if I'm remembering correctly—they tend to take about a hundred years or so. At least okay. that was the case for the Protheans.
1: Or, or I meant the—I the, yeah. guess the—the the length of time between the last extermination and the next extermination.
3: Fifty thousand years by the time the Reapers have created the mass okay. effect relays and everything mm-hmm. is up to speed.
1: So, is there a, a mechanic by which they reseed life in the galaxy, or do they just leave enough? Mm, um life enough life um, forms
4: just the, any, a second. any okay. life form that has not advanced far enough is spared, so, there oh, so is it goes like, in
1: waves yes, so, so like, they'll advance and they then the other talking, ones will be knocked back to square one
4: okay right, so like when when you later on you 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 find out more about the protheans and you you start talking you actually spoilers you actually meet one um and he talks about how i remember he was talking i think about the sari and the solarians like i remember you guys when you were still swimming in ponds
3: oh so. the hanar as well i remember your people when you were minnow sea. yes we yes. thought that sparing you would save you from the reapers i'm glad to see you in this cycle let's do that yes, effect.
4: yes. I, so i say
3: glad to see javik is an awesome <laughs>
4: he is an ass, <laughs> He's such an ass. Anyway. he is a lovable ass but he is one so it just depends so like any civilization that is i guess advanced far enough and can do space travel and that could actually create a synthetic in its image i think is then subjugated to the mass extinction and that's okay. what's i think is the important requirement is because that's how, what the whole entire deal is organics versus synthetics. And if an organic can create a synthetic, then you're on the chopping block. So,
1: yeah. So if you're at the big boy table, Cthulhu is going to eat
3: you. I mean, like space, space travel. And I think the ability to create an advanced artificial intelligence is your very good measures. But it's it's very worth noting again that uh, you mentioned the Brothian Mel, which is absolutely the best point at which to come from from this. Because even as he encounters you um, and refers to the races of your particular cycle, he mm. refers to you all as primitives. Yes. Because at the time being, you know, we were the ones on our hands and knees. There's a point at which you go into an Asari temple and Liara is with you. If you bring Javik along in that mission, he has some hilarious lines that he drops about how the Asari were kind of like the chosen students of the Protheans of that race and so she's going over all of the actions of a god called a theme, I think it was like an Asari legend yes. and Javik every single time she says oh yeah this is a depiction of a Thame and how she taught us the natural gifts of biotics and Javik just says it took years to get those genetic implants right and it's just like oh my god you're destroying their history and it's great and awful at the same time <laughs> Yes. And you know, it's also things like, this is how she taught us to write, and Javik will just say, we, you know, we took pity on you. You couldn't count beyond your toes, yada, yada, yada. It's just, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah. So, gives you an idea of the kind of level of technology and advancement you need to be at to have been harvested by the Reapers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You also, um, on the Verma mission, to go back to the timeline, that's where you leave one of your squadmates behind. This is the. Big point about Mass Effect, not as like a law point, but as a game, which is that people die, and you have to make very, very, very hard choices about what happens. So, not good, not easy, not easy at all. Scary. Bye,
4: by space races. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm, pretty much.
4: <laughs> so, Most, um,
3: yeah, I we'll think let you guys discover that for yourself.
4: Yeah, there's, and it's not like any mate gets left behind. It's a choice between two human squad mates, the female mm-hmm. and the male squad mate. Um, and, uh, you, you could choose either, or mm-hmm. they're pretty much interchangeable in terms of who they kind of are. Um, I call the female the space racist because um, in my playthrough, when I was talking to Rex for the first time, trying to get him to join my squad, she came up and shot him in the back of the head um, and called him a dirty Krogan. And I was like, oh, girl, no, you didn't. So... (laughs) Um, and then I reloaded and I did I did a different dialogue set and like upped my charisma aspects or whatever it is that we had to do. I think I went and found his armor first is what I did. You know,
3: and, I and know I, I know she says some very, very, very sketchy things if you talk to her on the Normandy, but I've never seen her actually shoot Rex in the head. Oh my she God. did. She did. I had. Is that an actual dialogue option?
4: Yeah, I failed the dialogue Holy option, Lord. and so Rex was was going to fight me, and so Ashley came up to him and uh, shot him in the back of the head, and and did some said some derogatory turn towards him, and it's like oh, I got you, Shepard.
3: You're talking Vermeer.
4: Yes, Vermeer, Vermeer. Oh
3: my god. Okay. When first talk to Rex. No uh, sense. Yeah. Sorry, when you said first talk, I thought you meant like uh, in Cora's den or something, or on Citadel Station. Uh, no. Where you recruit him.
4: No, Dude, not. I was gonna say yet.
3: that's. I, I didn't think Mass Effect did something <laughs> that crazy. Like, good lord,
4: no, not, I, not actually. If that is, happened, though. I would
3: have been like, Whoa, that escalated quickly!
4: <laughs> no, I'm Burmeyer when you, when you see him and you're talking about the Krogan's and all that. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, no, that is. Would you point. say he got wrecked,
2: <laughs> hmm.
3: Justin?
4: Hmm. Justin,
1: I'll let you take this one, hmm. then. Justin.
4: No, nice. I didn't get wrecked because uh, I left Ashley on the planet and she got wrecked. So, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Okay. yeah. Okay, okay. Okay,
3: yeah. carry on. Bye-bye, space racist.
4: Bye-bye, space racist. And then uh, I took Rex with me and, and Garrus, best squad, and, and we wrecked a lot of stuff. So,
3: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice.
3: It, it makes me really sad because I have to play with Ashley all the time now so I can get the achievement on Mass Effect 1. Cause I still haven't got that achievement.
4: Oh, I refuse to get that achievement. I'm like, no, she's uh, it's a word so maybe, so <laughs> maybe, maybe, a c-word instead. So, yeah. I'm s- I'm
0: still stuck I- on the fact that the Leviathan or the Reapers or whatever they're basically Cthulhu's. Oh yeah, they are yeah. massive space Cthulhu's. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like, so I so looked I looked up the Harbinger. I'm like, that's a Cthulhu. That thing's but gonna dangerous. eat you. <laughs> that thing's gonna eat you. <laughs>
4: That they have lasers. Mm-hmm. Oh
0: God! No, Cthulhu <laughs> does not need lasers. He does not. Know. No, no, no. Yeah, this is
4: no, space. Bit. Cthulhu has lasers. Blue and I mean, it's faster lasers. than light travel. <laughs> oh God!
3: Lasers, FTL travel are one of the only ships that. Planet and every single time that they talk to you, it's something along the lines of. You know, deep booming voice, and it's horrifying. D- d- look up the sovereign speech. Oh, okay. Yeah. Look up the sovereign speech on YouTube if you really want to experience what that's like. Because oh, oh so not. Oh right my now. god. And it then afterwards,
4: crazy. look up Reaper Horn and listen to that.
0: Oh yeah. Oh my god.
2: Is that, is yeah. The, the Reaper Horn is.
0: Is that the brand? Just, just yeah. be yeah, sure it it's spelled that right. <laughs>
2: No, just the insurance. It's like right.
0: the, <laughs> if the Inception sound, if
3: the Inception sound has as many balls as a Krogan does, that's a Reaper noise.
4: And for the record, Krogans have four balls. You're just putting that So yeah.
3: Oh Let yeah. So that just happened. All right. It, it, yeah, well,
4: Kro- just, Kro- It's have a point. They, do, they,
3: they, make, they make the point of discussing it, right? They, Krogan's they, have redundant stuff.
4: Yeah, they have two of every organ in their body. Mm-hmm.
2: So, and then nice.
4: uh, we were actually, I was talking with my, one of our clan mates the other day. We were talking about Mass Effect and he was talking about how he had a dialogue option Because he played with Male Shepard, I did Shepard, And th- they were talking about how he can lend him an extra pair because he had some or something along those lines, or like he had as many balls as a, as a Krogan. So, so he, he um, had to
0: grow a quad.
4: Yeah. Grow, grow, grow a quad.
0: <laughs> Mage, major Mage chat. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh my God. I think there's a point at which you need some. Yeah. There's a character. Rico is <laughs> called Conrad Verner. Um And there's a point at which he's basically like the annoying fan from oblivion, right? He'll come oh, back constantly. God.
0: And oh every god. single time
3: you see him, it's Face Palm City, and it's amazing. And there's one point at which you can just knee him strain the balls. Oh my god, that would be through. amazing
0: in Oblivion.
3: There's a nearby Asari who happened to have a Krogan father, and she just celebrates, and she's like,
4: yeah, kick him in the quad. And kind of, you know, that's a
2: reference to it, right? Right? I'm
3: pretty
4: so, sure that's
3: a reference to it. It's,
4: Unless it's they're awesome. talking
3: about quadriceps, which is like, okay, whatever, but still...
4: So it's also important to know that I call Krogan's Brogan's because they're my my bros.
1: (laughs) They're your bros.
4: Yes. Mm -hmm. They're my Brogan's. And um, if anyone wants to see all my Brogan memes, hit me up. (laughs) I I need a
3: lot. (laughs) I need this.
4: Let me (laughs) find them. (laughs) BRV.
1: There she goes. Oh, gosh. Well, oh, it's, it's you now, bye. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs>
1: anyway. So, yeah,
3: to uh, move on, for my mission, has- the council, after having seen proof that Saren is attempting to make the Reapers return, and after having had further evidence that he's actually discovered where the conduit is, which, again, is what he referred to in the tape recording that you busted him with, you go back to the council, they lock down Citadel space, and all of the relays, just in case. And they're like, yeah, okay, that's it. And then they ground you, because politicians are jerks. Captain Anderson, who is one of your longtime friends uh, in this, who you will be introduced to at the very beginning of Mass Effect, uh, and is actually a way more important character than I've spoken about in this entire episode, but yeah, he's seriously important. He will help you break out of the sort of Citadel space docks and lets you go after Saren for your final mission, which takes you to a Prothean planet of Ilos. Or Ilos rather. This planet is discovered to be where the conduit is after you complete your vision and it's interpreted to you by Liara after you found the vision again. After you've discovered the cipher on um, on Theros after you've found everything. You then get to go to Ilos, and this again is a Prothean planet and has a bunch of old abandoned research facilities in it. And this is where you need to find the conduit. You then, after exploring the planet for a little bit, are cordoned off before you manage to chase Saren down. And you're cordoned off by a Prothean VI, or virtual intelligence, which is like an AI with no opinion. And this VI is called Vigil. And it is almost completely worn out of power. It's on its last legs, and it gives you the information you need and explains everything. So it tells you that, you know, not only is everything you've heard from uh, Sovereign about the Reapers true, but also it tells you that the Protheans saved this cycle from its extension, which should already have happened. And they did this by creating a backdoor mass relay onto the Citadel called the Conduit, And by doing that, they managed to reprogram the Citadel, which is supposed to be a mass relay that's hidden. And the Reapers then use this to invade every single time a cycle begins. They managed to get that back door open onto the Citadel and shut it down this time. Saren plans on using that same back door to open up the Citadel again for the Reapers to return. This is why he's been searching for the conduit all along, because he can't go anywhere near the Citadel because we've made him not a specter, he has an army of geth at his back, etc., etc., etc. It just so happens as well that the place he needs to activate all this from is right in the middle of the Citadel Tower, where the politicians all are, so you can't really be poking around in that without causing suspicion. So, not good. Anyway, after all of this is done, you race to the conduit, and it turns out this is where everything has really started to go down, because Sauron and his Geth have caused a full-scale attack. He's gone through the Conduit in advance, but he set Sovereign and his Geth to attack the Citadel space fleet. And they have a Reaper on their side. The Reaper, by the way, in space combat is no joke. This thing is bigger than most dreadnoughts that most people have in their fleets. And it practically single-handedly will crush the entirety of the Citadel space fleets. So, no small joke whatsoever, like, it means business, it's coming after them, and it smashes most of their fleet. Shepard then allows the Systems Alliance in after he chases them back uh, to the Citadel, and after he manages to finally get into the tower and confront Saren, kills him eventually. The Systems Alliance then manages to kill Sovereign in what's known as the Battle of the Citadel. There's a few other really big choices here about whether or not you save the Citadel Council, which I personally did, but I understand entirely if you don't, because those guys had it coming like three times. They should have listened. And I, I mean, this is the thing, right? It's the, it's the Paragon choice to like save them, and you become like a... Benevolent individual and humanity is in a great political spot. If you save them and they have a space on the council, no matter what you do next time in Mass Effect Two, but they were such jerks.
0: like, but know,
3: I studied politics for six years, and they are the epitome of politicians,
1: right? Like, <laughs> yeah, such. Well, the vibe instance. I get from that is like all the parliament scenes from the Star Wars movies from the Oh wrinkles. yeah, it's.
3: It's like that with less people. It, it's like that on crack with less people. That's
1: oh, it's like so like not. four or five people, right? It's not that. It's, it's literally, it's
3: the three councillors more often than not, plus the people they're talking to, which ends up being another three, because more often okay. than not, it's Captain Anderson, you, and another politician called Ludina, who is just an ass. Again, he's, <laughs> he's your they, version
1: of the council. <laughs> yeah, are they there in person, or are they like holograms?
3: They're there in person, but whenever you talk to them on ship, they're holograms great, because every single time that you talk to them, you have the option of just hanging up, and they get really annoyed if you It's great. It's
2: yeah, just I'm done. like,
3: you know, after, after, like, the fifth time doing it, uh, the council is just like, I hope you're not just going to hang up on a again, Shepherd, and then you just say, whoops! And then the comm just gets dropped. It's just...
2: So
4: I did that so much. I'm like, oh, oh, white click.
3: And I think I think after a certain amount of time, Joker, he's your pilot, and he has so many witty responses throughout all of the Mass Effect series. He just says to you, never gets old, does it, Commander? It's just like, <laughs> no. it, it's these little perfect moments of dialogue that Mass Effect crafts. Go and explore it for yourself. Experience it. Whether you're Renegade or Paragon, the game is a blast. And yeah. always talk to Joker and Garrus.
4: And Garrus. Yeah, that, that's kind uh, of the
3: offense of Mass Effect 1. So yeah, that sort of summarizes ancient history as well, which yeah. hopefully keeps everybody up to date.
4: But uh, I, I played mostly a paragon throughout my campaign, but time I had the opportunity to hang up on, this, on the council <laughs> or punch someone, <laughs> I did it without hesitation.
3: Did you punch the reporter? Oh, three oh
4: I gave yes, I did. Well, <laughs> the very first time I came across her, I like let her speak for like two dialogue options. And then I'm like, you know what? Punches <clears throat> in face. See so you again? Punches in face. Yes.
1: So Mel, mm-hmm. that that read like a police report, by the <laughs> way. Oh, it's great. It's
3: fantastic. Oh,
4: it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. Khaleesa
3: Massil Melgelani, Midwesterland News. I've had enough of your disingenuous assertions.
4: Punches in the face.
3: <laughs> I've had enough of your snide insinuation. Punches the in
4: face.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've Punches had enough of, of your tabloid journalism.
4: Right hunts the face, Ma- you're on the ground. <laughs> by Mass Effect
3: 3, she learns and she confronts you about like various events that happen in that game. And then after you attempt to throw your first punch, she dodges and she's like, Ha, I've learned you can just take me down like some reckless thug and you can either like if you don't react fast enough she'll just beat your ass to the ground and it's kind of hilarious as a comeuppance. if you manage to react fast enough you beat her back she slams into a wall and then does the slow like pigeon down glass noise and yeah. it's amazing
4: it's so like I'll, I'll say
3: this i play paragon one of my things but I still hit so many of the good <laughs> Renegade options in that game oh, because yeah. there are so which just Oh, yeah. Some <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes.
4: <laughs> so now we, we know what
3: no, makes back me up, Back me up on this. Killing Kai Lang. The Renegade option.
4: Yeah. What Refresh my memory, Kai Lang. Was he, was he, Mass was Effect was...
3: 3 on the station. Gow the Ninja Sword. Oh, yeah. The Renegade oh. interrupt with that is,
4: Oh yeah. I
3: mean, oh. for one, I, th- I thought I was going to die with that. But secondly, it's, yes. oh, f- oh, it's so yes. cool. It's so yes. oh, goddamn awesome. I Way remember, more awesome than the program.
4: I think it was in three. Also, you're doing stuff for the Genophage and you're coming up to some Krogans. And then there was an option to, I think, shoot a rocket at them. Instead, because he was just sassing me so much, I'm like, dude, I'm trying to f and help you, and he was just sassing me and sassing me and sassing me. I'm like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, right trigger, bro. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm right triggering you.
2: <laughs> I mean,
3: like that's probably again, if you have uh, time, also search up Commander Shepard is a jerk or in <laughs> uh, for the Mass Effect Two One. The renegade interrupts are amazing. So, you know, it's all these different points at which, like, someone's repairing a gunship to go and attack one of your friends that you need to recruit for a mission. And there's, like, a high... I can't remember what it is, but it's, like, an electric tool that they're using to repair things they've just set down. You go to them, pick it up, and then you just say, you're working too hard. You slam it into their back, and it's like they've been tased over and over again. Like, some of these interrupts are freaking incredible. Mm -hmm. You You really need to... You search it up because they're <laughs> hilarious on themselves.
4: Yeah. It's it's, it is also worthy of note, though, even if you play the Paragon, quote unquote, good role, that Shepard's still a badass. And, like, mm-hmm. you think that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll do the nice option. And then he or she will still just lay it down. You're like, whoa, that came out a lot stricter and a lot mean, <laughs> meaner sounding than I had anticipated. So, like, don't think that, like, you're going to play a good thing that they're going to be mm-hmm. like, Oh, okay. No, 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 no. It's okay. Not I'll kill them Shep. with feelings. <laughs> no. no. No, there is no feelings. There Gets is the feelings time. of, you have to understand that I need to do this right now, and if you don't get out of my way, I'm gonna deck you. Like, that's kind of the nice option. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so.
3: Oh, yeah. Long story short, Shepard is a badass, and we love him slash her, depending on what you choose. That's just does <laughs> ah, so. What was your preference, actually? Because I'm a call me call me like totally centered around everyone. I appreciate that both are incredible voice actors slash actresses.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I'm a Mark Meer guy. I really think Mark Meer is the better of the two.
4: Ah, oh, dude, no, Jennifer Hill, man, like Oh, no. she's so good, but like no, sh- oh no, no, Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
1: <laughs> punches well, in well, face, punches <laughs> in face.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've oh, had it man. with
2: your
4: snide insinuations. <laughs> I... I... I, I, mm, I no, no, sorry. I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this one. Like... Mm-hmm, I think I, so. I'm i a hardcore Ben We know Shad what that means. <laughs> You're,
1: You're wrong. wrong but... <laughs> Punches in face. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned enough uh, to know that when a woman says "we'll agree to disagree," <laughs> it means you're wrong. <laughs> I know that much. I you've
4: got to be very
3: careful about your considerations because this is making me agree with Justin, and that's always a very very strange. <laughs>
4: this is a slippery slope. <laughs> slope. Wait, should I go? No, you should. I go. <laughs> I should go. I should, I should go. go.
1: Should, should I go? <laughs> well, why don't you stay
4: because I, I
3: don't should. know how to finish I this. sound like that?
4: I <laughs> <laughs> sorry, i have blown, Justin. That was a total inside. That was an, an only- inside reference yes. joke. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The play the
3: Citadel DLC. Yes, also play the Citadel DLC. Oh, Citadel
4: DLC is literally the best DLC I've ever played in any game. It's types. Mass
3: Effect Three, and it's basically like a massive piece of fan service, and it's amazing. It's, it's, it's so good.
4: Oh yeah, there's so much fan service. Like, uh, not even. I'm not 100%. even talking about fan service. Like seeing painting fan service. It's like you get you actually get some good quality mm-hmm. one-on-one interaction with each of the squad mates and you get special stuff depending upon who you're romancing or not romancing at that time it's oh, it is great it is oh it's it really is great
2: i've Been played that
4: dlc specifically i think at least a good 10 times <laughs> just like you know i'm gonna play the citadel dlc today this was like a fun mm-hmm. time <laughs> yep it's gonna be good yeah. Yeah, be great. I mean, like great.
3: the other thing that you guys should absolutely look up. I've I've told you to look like five or six different things up on YouTube by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, search Grunt Citadel DLC
2: <laughs>
3: because Grunt's noodles thing is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, and it's amazing. And if you know Grunt, it's even better.
4: Yeah. It's
1: so
0: much better.
4: So what he's <laughs> oh. trying to say is you need to play Mass Effect.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've heard. <laughs> Is play Mass the Effect,
1: effect thing here.
0: and look mm. up all these things.
4: Yeah. Oh, well, yes. you wouldn't have to look them up if you play Mass Effect.
0: Oh. Well, that's rude. Shots okay. fired. Punch in face. Anyway, I think... <laughs> come down. Anyway, we should
3: totally jump onto Mass Effect 2 and 3 before we get any further. Because otherwise, we're going to we're gonna run way over the clock on this one. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah.
4: Mass two, Effect... Two's 2 is heavy. Go, go. Sorry, 2 go. is very
3: heavy. Okay, so Mass Effect 1. Events of the attack on the Citadel by the Geth have been pretty huge and resounding for humanity and for the rest of Citadel space. So the first ever thing that uh, Shepard is sent to do is to hunt down the Geth. Humanity is invited to join the Citadel Council either by kind of usurping it if you destroy the Council or by the simple fact that you saved it and you prove that humanity is ready for it in the case that you save the Council. Uh, at this point, also, it's very important to keepers know that sovereign have been sovereign's been killed, right? Sovereign was destroyed. Saren was killed, and this means that they need an alternative plan to start invading the Milky Way again for this extinction cycle. Mass Effect 2's events begin with quite a bang because whilst you're out searching for Geth, you get attacked by a mysterious unknown vessel, and the Normandy is almost completely destroyed. With this, you then have the horrifying moment where Shepard dies. Your Shepard, the one that you've built throughout all of Mass Effect 1, all the same choices, all the same character development points, yeah, straight up dead, just killed, sucked into a vacuum of space. By the time that their body is recovered, they're literally nothing more than eaten tubes. It's horrifying. Mm -hmm. However, Shepard's body is recovered by an organization known as Cerberus. Cerberus is a pro-human splinter group of the Alliance, and they are no longer associated with the Alliance in any way. They are much more extreme. In some of their cells, they have become almost terrorist-like. They are funded centrally by a figure known only as the Elusive Man, and he creates a task force headed by someone called Miranda Lawson, and that task force's job is simply given one goal. It's called the Lazarus Project, and its one goal is to bring back you, Commander Shepard. Because you are the best well, you're the best thing, the best weapon, the best asset that we have against the Reapers. You're rebuilt by Cerberus, and then after you're evacuated from your facility, which is under attack when you wake up. You then go and meet the elusive man. He tells you to to investigate a colony known as Freedom's Progress. And this is on the back of some serious, crazy happenings within the galaxy. It's worth noting, you've been dead and gone for two straight years. Like, nobody has seen or heard of you. You've literally been rebuilt. People think that you are completely gone. It's on all the government paperwork. You then have weird moments where... Because of this, you'll re-encounter old squad mates and they'll learn of your recovery and whatnot. It's
0: a bit of a jarring
3: moment to be reintroduced to people like that. This kind of takes up all of Mass Effect 2. On Freedom's Progress, you discover what the elusive man had guessed at, which is that the human colonies that have gone missing and are disappearing en masse, they are being abducted by an alien race known as the Collectors. And these guys are really enigmatic. They literally trade nothing with any other species aside from odd rare bits of technology. They retreat through a Mass Effect relay known as the Omega-4 relay, which is rumored to go to Paradise and all these other crazy things. No ship has ever returned from passing through it. And your job is then, after you have discovered that the collectors are abducting these colonies, to put a stop to these attacks pass through the Omega-4 relay, and ultimately destroy the Collector's base, wherever that may be. Put a stop to the attacks. Because it's almost completely proven at this point that the Collector's are under the thrall of the Reapers. And this is kind of the fight that you take on in Mass Effect 2. So you get a brand new Normandy. Cerberus, because it has so much funding, and wealth, takes the original specs of the Normandy SR1, the ship that you had in Mass Effect 2, sorry, in Mass Effect, the original, and rebuilds it as the SR2, which is twice the size. has got, like, a whole crazy new set of inventory, same stealth systems. They even pull back as much of the original crew as possible, including Dr. Chakwas, including um, some of the guys from Engineering, although most of them didn't actually manage to make it, because they die in the attack from the original... Normandy, and you know they even pull back Joker, your old pilot, who again reoccurring character through all three. <coughs> some key teammates have to be collected. You go back and find all your old squad mates, or for the most part they join you. There's some people like Liara who isn't able, to play, but she is still very much a relevant character and has her own DLC. In Mass Effect Mm -hmm. 2. There's people like Garrus who join up with you. People like Tali for example. Uh, Depending on whether you saved Caden or Ashley, they do not join you but you do encounter them once again throughout the story. You encounter Rex again And you also encounter a whole bunch of other new aliens, some from new races that you will not have seen up until this point. So, for example, there's Thane Krios, who is a Drell, who is a master assassin, has some power of biotics. You've got Samara, who is a new Asari that you meet. She is an Asari Justicar. We mentioned them earlier, but kind of like the paladins of the Asari world, and they have a Justical code and they do not care about law enforcement. They will do whatever they need to in order to enact their code, which is law to them. Uh, they also hunt down Adat Yachis, which are kind of like corrupted Asari that um, eventually just turn predatorial and effectively... Hmm, how do I Wait. put this politely?
4: Um, when, when you mate with them, you do not uh, wake up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If
3: so, they're, if praying, mantises.
2: Sexy blue, they're like <laughs>
4: praying mantises. They're like praying mantis.
3: Yeah. Like if you have sexy blue alien times with an outright you're not going to wake up. Like <laughs> your your brain literally decays. And oh, there's God. also the point at which, yeah, like they also have like sort of the ability to influence people of weaker minds over yeah. time.
2: Yeah.
4: The very predatory, exposure. And they're 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 kind of known for their their desire and they're always seen as like the most desirous type of Asari that mm-hmm. and that
3: temptress yes that kind of
4: like they they, they think Kyle kind of, I don't want to say Black Widow but you know like this, I'm not talking about the character I'm talking about like a spider so yeah yeah
3: Yeah, so there's some very key moments in the story of Mass Effect 2, aside from just collecting various teammates. One in particular is the recovery and recruitment of a doctor known as Dr. Morden Solis. He is a genius, a Solarian on top of that. So he's the first ever Solarian squad mate that you get. And he's important because he is the one that develops a vaccine for the seeker swarms of the collectors. In other words, when the collectors invade a colony, they release these massive swarms of tiny flying bugs. Imagine... So, you know the Nicolas Cage scene where it's, like, not the bees? Yes. In Wicker Man? Imagine that, but on crack. That's, like, take the number of bees in the little kind of face cage that Nicolas Cage has and times that by about a million. Every single one of them contains a paralysis venom that allows the collectors to simply walk in without a colony's defenses even being triggered and then just abduct everybody who's there. Mm -hmm. Scary stuff. Morden basically then makes you guys the... uh, antidote to this, the thing that keeps you immune from all the Seeker Swarms. And if there's still like a huge mass of them, you can definitely still suffer under it. But, you know, you're still doing okay. You then go, however, and investigate a Collector attack on a colony called Horizon. This is where you meet up with Kaden Malenko or Ashley, depending on which one that you saved. And yeah, that's kind of one of the scary moments, because you managed to repel it, and it's your first real contact with the Collector's Scary, too, because it then opens up the second half. After doing this, recovering a few more squadmates, you actually have a mission where you invade that collector's ship. Turns out they set a trap for you on there, but you discover something which is really important on that ship, which is that the collectors are, in fact, husks of the Protheans. In other words, they are converted into well, kind of like synthetic mass from biological mass by the Reapers, and they are mind-controlled and indoctrinated. And these guys have therefore been around for nearly 50,000 years, waiting for moments like this. After you escape the collector ship, you continue to recover more squad mates and whatnot. After having processed all of this information, you realize that after invading the Collector ship, you're able to calculate where the ship's been through the Omega-4 relay. And it turns out the Omega-4 relay points straight into the Galactic Core. Which, if you know anything about space, that's basically a nexus of exploding black holes and mass and stars and fire. And it's not good. It's, it's not great at all. <laughs> like, bad things happen. Anyway. This is a bad galactic. place. Galactic. Yeah, it's a bad place to be. So they clearly have advanced technology, but it also explains why all the ships never return, because in the Galactic Core, bad things happen, and it's not good. But yeah, after all of that's done, you realize that you need an IFF in order to properly get through the Omega-4 relay, otherwise you'll be destroyed, probably. You find this IFF on a derelict Reaper ship, which is a scary place to invade. Because there's already been a Cerberus crew on board there that has been destroyed and whatnot. Not great, because uh, all of them have just been turned into husks. It's pretty unpleasant at that point. But what's even more important about this mission is this is the mission where you discover artificial intelligence of incredible power. You discover Legion. Legion is a Geth. You remember the Geth or were the ones that attacked Eden Prime in Mass Effect 1? They're like the ones that Saren had working under his command. They're significant because they're this cycle's big kind of rebelling artificial intelligence. You know, they are mm-hmm. created by tally's race, a race called the quarians a very long time ago when they rebelled against their masters, it forced the quarians off of their home planet of Ranok and created a entire migrant fleet of quarians, which is about 57 million in total. So, Yeah, you're looking at a very serious deal when one of them comes along. But not only that, Legion is allied with you and joins you and can become a squad mate, and is one of the more interesting characters in all of Mass Effect for that point. After you have all this stuff happen, and Tali is very, very upset about Legion even being there, you install the Reaper IFF and your ship is attacked by the Collectors. And it's bad because they abduct like half your crew. You happen to be away while this happens, and this entails the exciting mission where you play as Joker and have to run away from everything and crawl through the ducts, which is where your quote from earlier about I enjoy the sight of humans on your knees comes from. <laughs> Side note, which is also rather important. At the beginning of Mass Effect 2, the Normandy has an AI installed onto the ship called EDI. EDI is something that Cerberus has built. It's something that you actually vaguely encounter in Mass Effect 1, And yeah, it's a very cool moment because the ship actually has a personality at that point. The ship actually talks to you. And yeah, it's kind of cool as a result. But yeah, after all of this has happened, you need to get your crew back. And so you go through the Omega-4 relay. This is where the big mission to destroy or purge the Collector base happens. There's a very big moral point here to this as well. If you destroy the Collector base, it's actually the good option because what you can do with that is deny it from Cerberus... It's very clear by the end of this that Cerberus' objectives are only to advance humanity and they're messing with technology that it's very questionable whether or not they can control it. If you purge it of all life signs instead, then Cerberus can come in and claim it for themselves and it's not really that great. So, yeah. Also, very end of Mass Effect 2, the final DLC that they released before Mass Effect 3, the one that I think is most relevant, there's things like the Lair of the Shadow Broker that came out, which you know basically means that Liara becomes the most powerful information broker in the galaxy and has a vast ton of resources and whatnot. There's other ones like Overlord, which explore the whole AI thing a little bit more. Most important of all, though, I think is Arrival, because Arrival is where the Reapers actually invade the first system and you go there to destroy the massive relay there to stop them from conquering the rest of the galaxy. In the process, though, you destroy an entire system of a race known as the Batarians. And that's something that you have to come in and answer for. And that places you in quarantine on Earth under military kind of supervision because they're still trying to court martial you and see whether you're guilty or not. Because you just wiped out hundreds of thousands of people to yeah. save millions. So more tough choices.
4: Um kind of it's, where Mass Effect 2 stops. It's also of note in Mass Effect 2 that once you go onto that dialect ship and you get the IFF, you only have a very specific amount of time, game time, before that hit that you get invaded and your, your team is taken. And if you haven't done the correct steps up until then for your ship, um it determines who lives or dies from your crew during this attack and when you go and collect them so if you hadn't prepared correctly or you didn't choose the right options when you're actually on the the collector ship and you're doing that mission at the very end um you could have permanent effects in terms of certain team members will die and they will not come back in mass effect 3 there's not this is not comic books where they magically are brought back to life so um this specific game, in particular, Mass Effect 2, a lot of the, your decisions and your actions that go on in this game affect so much. I mean, that's kind of a, a thing that goes on throughout the whole entire series, but a lot of, I feel, Mass Effect 2 has some of the biggest decisions to make, and their consequences are the most heavy throughout the rest of the series. So.
2: hmm. <laughs>
3: Definitely. And this is why I think my Mass Effect 2 is definitely my favorite, because, again, it is all about mm-hmm. the interpersonal relationships of you and your it crew. Is. The romances in this one are the most varied. You have more companions in this game than any – sorry, yeah, in this one of the series than any of the others.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, yeah, there's more choices, more different interlaced threads of story that appear here than anywhere else. Right. So, right. pretty big deal.
4: Yeah, definitely – Mass Effect 2 is probably the crown jewel of the series. Um, I feel like the the combat on it was pretty good. I I personally feel that Mass Effect three really had a very a much cleaner combat style in terms oh, of yeah. gameplay. Um, but story wise and the relationships that you get within Mass Effect two, um, and then just the diversity of all the people that you meet and your crew members and what they have to bring in terms to the story and what information they give you in terms of lore and whatnot um, is really really valuable. So. Um, Definitely, definitely one one of my favorites.
2: One of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
3: big, big things happen. Mm-hmm. And then Mass Effect 3 jumps in, and this is where the Reapers actually invade. And it starts off with a bang, which is the Reapers invade Earth. But before we get to that, Justin, Blue, are you keeping up? Do you have questions? Is this too much? Yes.
1: No, it's not. We're getting to the part that I actually kind of like. I, at least from the reading uh, the Geth really, really kind of uh, intrigued me. I was, uh, I had a question about the flashlight heads. If, if we got time, yeah. Um, did they, did they sneak up on you, Justin? They, they haven't yet. They haven't yet, but they might. <laughs> um, no, uh, there, there seems to be at least in what I've read of the lore uh, for Mass Effect. This, this kind of um, recurring distinction between an artificial. Intelligence and a synthetic, um, is is that correct? The Geth are synthetic intelligence, correct?
4: Yes.
3: So yeah, the um, there's a few different things to explain. Mel, maybe you can jump in.
4: Um, in terms of which like ones are synthetic, AI,
3: AI, VI, the whole yeah,
4: there's question there's, of the
3: Geth being not exactly a true AI.
4: Yeah, uh, you might want to. Well, you can go probably a little bit in depth, more in depth than I can, but there are different levels of scentants t- that synthetics. Um, the gath are definitely one, or the main ones that that you uh, come across. Ed, which we've already discussed before, um, is another one. Um, but uh, I'm trying. You're probably going to have to go over this because I'm trying to remember specifically the difference between um, well. Edie before Edie became sentient was just the ship's computer and it was like an artificial intelligence that helped navigate and stuff like that. But then it became sentient Um, and the Geth are also in that same boat. Some of them are just kind of, I want to say kind of like, the vex in a way that they They just they have a they have a, an order to do, and that's what they're doing. And some of them are it's actually like
3: a networked intelligence, basically.
4: Yes, and then some of them are actually independent of that network. And Legion, okay. I believe, is one of the ones that's completely independent of that network. Correct, if I remember right.
3: It's uh, a little bit of gray.
4: A little bit. Um, okay.
3: He's he's like a hacked iPhone. <laughs> so let's let's explain the distinctions. So there's really like three different things to explain. It's virtual intelligences or VIs, artificial intelligences or AIs and then the networked AIs which are the Geths. So let's take ED as a very good place to start off with. In mass effect 1 ED is a rogue VI which is starting to verge on becoming an AI. And at that point, she just basically commandeers the defenses of a a base on Luna or Earth's moon and starts taking things over. In Mass Effect 1, this is a side mission where you have to basically shut the VI down. Virtual intelligences are not capable of independent thought. They are not capable of processing or making opinions. They are simply there as conduits of information and to manage things. So, for example, a VI can be in charge of targeting systems on a computer, which means that you're able to make precise shots in deep space combat battles, which are set over multiple kilometers or multiple thousands of kilometers in some cases. After all of this, VIs at the end of the day, they're not really a topic of much discussion. They are machines and they are very advanced, but they are not true AI, despite the fact that they often have, you know, personas yeah, personas that are literally like faces or actual like bodies that are made to interact with people. And when I say bodies, I mean holographic ones, not like physical ones. So, for example, when you go to Citadel, there's a VI called Avena, which is shaped like an Asari. And it's literally just an information terminal that you go around to, and it can tell you different things about the Citadel and where you're standing. You then have networked AIs, which are like the Geth. And basically, these are a group of programs. And the more programs there are, the more intelligent that Geth can get. If you just had one or two Geth, they become animalistic, very basic, not very intelligent. The more Geth are nearby, if there's an entire army of Geth, for example, they become super intelligent. They can coordinate massive battlefield strategy together, and an individual Geth that is attached to a massive swarm can become a super intelligent, independent hunter of all of these different things. Legion is somewhat independent, but he is still attached to a Geth consensus which, again, is just the term for the big grouping of all these different networked AIs and AI programs. Now, the Reapers, on the other hand, and ED, by the time you reach Mass Effect 2, are two examples of true AIs, although the Reapers still reach somewhere beyond that because they are huge, massive, sentient intelligences. As they describe themselves, each Reaper is a nation unto itself. But when you do finally discover them, they are a great example of a true artificial intelligence and that's your perfect definition of an AI, something that is sentient, it is synthetic, but it can think for itself, act independently, and it does have its own set of memories and life experiences, it makes opinions, etc. So that's kind of the weird set of distinctions that you can make in terms of the Mass Effect's universe, and the Geth are the weirdest point to make about all that. But yeah, that's purely because of the way that they function. Spoiler alert, in Mass Effect 3, you actually have an option to give the Geth full, complete intelligence. So every single Geth program can become its own artificial intelligence. It's kind of one of the big choices that you get, is a choice between the Quarians and the Geth. Or alternatively, you can go for both if you have enough Renegade or Paragon. Yeah, that's kind of a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I was just wondering, because there actually is a a distinction in real world between synthetic intelligence and artificial it's largely a semantics discussion but um whereas one is is an intentional imitation the other is just something that's usually arises naturally that's been you know created so i guess where i was kind of hanging on there there's a bunch of places where they list the geth as a synthetic intelligence which would kind of lead me to believe that they're their intelligence wasn't made to be an imitation of the Torian, you know um uh, mind Chorians. yeah 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 so yeah so that's
3: it's so actually any, a good way uh, to lead into their story so basically uh, they were they were created initially as a sort of race of servant machines for the quarians this is kind of how it starts with most um you know any synthetic race in Mass Effect's universe, you know, it'll always be the case of an organic race creates a synthetic one to help better serve it and at a certain point one of the Geth um, which, you know, they have a natural level of intelligence because they start with, you know, a small amount of it they are still this kind of networked synthetic intelligence. One of them then starts to ask questions and in particular the one that really sparks panic for the Quarians is does this unit have a soul? And it's, you know, it questions, all sorts of different things for the quarians, you know, they sit back and they're like, well, I mean, what does this mean? We need to stop this. And eventually this small question later down the line, along with many other instances, it leads to war. And this is the point at which the geth truly start to fight back. So you've got huge problems that result from that one question of sentience and, you know, do I effectively, is my life the same as or yours? You know, I hope that sort of helps answer your question. No, no, it does. The intelligence that they have is not necessarily, it's given to them for sure. Like they are a networked group of AIs. They have synthetic intelligence, but they were never built as a true artificial intelligence in the first place. And that's kind of why the Corians, I believe, thought they could control them.
1: I got you. I was actually reading where they actually detest the term artificial, <laughs> and they prefer, like, synthetic is the more uh, mm-hmm. PC, PC term yeah. for them. Because there like is... Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's purely because of the fact that, again,
3: artificial intelligence is kind of, as you say, it's not just a derogatory term, but also "synthetics" is a term that everybody in the Mass Effect universe is, understands, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. leads us to Mass Effect 3. I'm going to let Mel jump in on this one because I feel like I've been hogging them up.
4: Oh, no, you're good. You are much more fluid and thorough than than I am. So if you want to continue going on and I can just interject, that is fine with me. So, okay. oh, Unless you want me to go ahead and you want me to take over? Uh,
3: if you wish. If you wish to. You may absolutely no. go ahead and do it. As
4: you wish. <laughs> um, so um mass effect 3 starts off right where we left off um with that uh, arrival dlc and depending upon if you played it or not um you are taken in for questioning regarding the batarians and um, i know for me personally i did do that quest and the batarian race died so now I'm court-martialed um, I'm I am under I'm basically grounded the Normandy was taken away from me the all my squad mates have been off on their own missions or under certain um, reprimanded for going along with me and also on top of that they are wondering why were you with Cerberus like Cerberus is this whole entire sect that has done all this crazy stuff so regardless if you did the Batarian or not you end up there court marshaled either for Cerberus or for the Batarians it kind of depends upon which one you do but when you're there um, um, you're there for quite a few months and so you're not on your ship and why people try to determine what's going on and the Reapers attack so finally, after all this time of saying, yes, this is happening, this is happening and no one believe in you, they're now on your front door um, and they're hitting Earth. You are on Earth and they are attacking it and you basically have to run for your life on Earth to get to the Normandy. And during that time, um, while you're running, you keep seeing this this little boy, and this little boy becomes pretty significant throughout the rest of the series. Um, well, the rest of the, the Mass Effect three, particularly because you did not really see him before this. Um, and you you know you go to save him, and um, you think you didn't save him, and then because you see him kind of blow up, and it really affects Shepard, and. Mm-hmm. That has a very long consequence because at this particular moment in the first about 20 minutes of the game, all of this, this nightmare stuff of like, all oh, the Reapers are coming. They're going to kill us. You're kind of like, yeah, okay. But now you're actually firsthand seeing the devastation. You're seeing kids getting killed. You're seeing families getting killed. You're seeing people. Um, you see Anderson. Um, At the very beginning, you're not sure if he's alive or dead because you see all these people being attacked and killed. And as you finally get onto the Normandy and the Normandy taking off, you're seeing Earth being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And you're you're seeing people... interject on the uh,
3: note of the kid as well, like the kid reoccurs to you in dreams constantly and every single one of you end... Sorry, every single one of those dreams ends with the kid burning and just setting on fire and it's very much an exercise in this not exactly too subtle point of saying yeah Shepard has seen stuff by this point and has ptsd from this and the war is still very much going on this is the scars of somebody who has gone through a conflict that should really have caused someone to go insane by this point and they're still
4: going and Exactly. And that kid uh, throughout the whole entire Mass Effect 3, you see this kid um, and like he was just saying, but you see him in your dreams and you start to really see it affect Shepard and all the stuff that's going on. And then more and more and more stuff is just piled on on Shepard and the crew Mm -hmm. Um, and everything kind of starts coming to to a head and you see it affect Shepard in some very interesting ways as well through the writing them, and interactions the, with the other teams.
1: going
3: for me is definitely, there's a point at which you snap back at your pilot, Joker, who has been one of your closest friends through all of this. He tries to make a light like, joke about something, and it comes off as a little bit dark. He says, like, too soon after he's done it. And then Shepard just breaks down. And the immediate response from Joker is something along the lines of, you know why I'm trying to make you cheer up? Because you're more, under more pressure than when you were in the Skillian Blitz. Like, I take this from the perspective of my shepherd. I chose the War Hero backstory, which yeah. effectively meant that I endured the Skillian Blitz, which was a point at which it was basically me versus 10,000 Batarians. And it's like, you know, you were under more stress now than you were during the Skillian Blitz, when it was you versus 10,000 Batarians alone. Yeah, I I think that you're in trouble right now. You need to calm down and relax and slow down. And it's the you know, it's in very much not just the fact that your journey and your story is coming to an end in Mass Effect 3, but also it's kind of like Ender's game, the book, if you think about it, because it's this this (laughs) the slow tearing down of a human being into Mm -hmm. something that is just a machine that's been built to fight and someone that just can't be allowed to care anymore something that is unbelievably brutal has been thrown at one person and it is almost entirely the weight of the galaxy on their shoulders and it's very believable at that point just because of all the pressures that you've had building through the past two games all the different people that you know and the contacts that you make it becomes very believable and you can see not only is it something that the writing and the storytelling prior to that point conveys but also Mark Mir and Jennifer Hale do amazing voice acting for this you know like you'll sit down and you'll have the conversation with Garrus about like talking through all these different awful things that happened and you'll recount the story of the boy that you see die on Earth, and that is one of those points at which I've never heard more convincing voice acting out of either of the two of them, because you know you sit back and it's like you you, you listen you've lived through these events effectively, but still it's chilling to even hear someone talk about it. Horrifying. Well, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, just real quick too, you know, in talking about Ender's Game, the. The breakdown psychologically for Ender's Game was was um, was smoother. It wasn't less horrendous, but it was smoother because, in a similar vein as you know, like Halo, they were all young kids. They didn't have personalities to fight back against the the indoctrination, basically, of that that violence and that that reshaping of the human being into the war machine. So, like, I can see totally. Just from a psychological point, how how much like your whole comment about you know or uh joker's comment about how you're under more stress, yeah, because your psyche is like completely rebelling against the things that it's a it's a disassociation. you have to do these things, but you don't want to, but you have to in order for everyone like you have to sacrifice people. And, you know, because mm-hmm. that was that was the biggest thing in Ender's game was the entire, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the book. You probably should go read the book. But like the whole point was they couldn't tell the kids that the games quotes, you know, quotes around that word games. Those weren't games. <laughs> those were actual people that they were they were sacrificing. So, I mean, if, if you're playing Ender's game, but you know, it's not a game. I could totally see the psychological impact of that, but that's my two cents.
4: Yeah, um, like we, well, we've kind of already covered most of that already, but like the and everything, and 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 it just gets worse throughout Mass Effect Three. Um, all, you start getting bigger and heavier decisions on what to mm-hmm. do, um, which we're gonna cover in a little bit. There's there's a couple points where you have to you literally have to choose between your mm-hmm. own your own oh, personal you. relationships and happiness between um between that and Saving a whole entire species of people, um and and at that point, Wait, which,
3: which which decision is this again? Am I forgetting the Mor- something?
4: The Morden, the Morden one. Oh
3: god! Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs>
4: I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> oh, I had to yeah. that from my mind. Oh god.
4: <laughs> um, oh, so- that's
3: something I tried to forget.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, and yeah. and at that point, you you can tell. I mean, you've done so many things. At, at, by the time Mass Effect 3 rolls around that are completely um, not in your... I mean, you're doing it. You're doing everything for the good of the galaxy. You're doing everything to save everyone else. And now you have all these crazy built relationships that are are so important to you. And when 3 comes around, now you're having to put those relationships on the line to see if you're still willing to save people and save the galaxy. And I think that's why Mass Effect 3 is such an emotionally taxing game to play because you've spent how many hours? Hours upon hours upon hours mm-hmm. building up these relationships with these characters that they're your team. They're you know, and now you you have the choice between sacrificing some of them and losing some of them. You and some of them you end up losing anyways without what, you know, without you to be able to do anything about it. Oh, so yeah. um and it's tough. I mean,
3: the- What's more is the fact that Mass Effect 3 always has been in my mind the one that has raised the stakes beyond anything else. In that game, if you don't specialize towards Paragon or Renegade, then you are literally given options that will result in genocide either way. And that's what's horrifying about this game is Mass Effect and Bioware, they pull no punches when it comes to making you make hard choices and making you think entirely about everything that you've seen from either side up to this point and there are ways to get the best outcome where everybody lives but there are still points at which people will die there are still moments where you will have to sit back and just say yeah there was nothing I could do to save that person they were always going to die you know mm-hmm. I'm just going to go into big spoiler alert one of the big missions that you have to do is the quarians and the geth their story finally comes to a Ahead, and it finishes up. The Quarians make a massive move to take back Rannoch, their home planet, which has been their goal for quite some time. It's under a huge Geth occupation. All of these events that you do on Rannoch culminate, finally, in a mission by which you destroy a Reaper, freeing the Geth from its control. You then also then have a choice where either you can allow the Quarian fleet to destroy the Geth, or alternatively, You can upload Reaper code to the Geth, which will not only give them true sentience without the Reaper's control at this point and make them real AIs, but will also allow them to come back to full strength and will utterly decimate the Quarians. And so you have this horrific choice. Do you allow a new race effectively to become true sentience, but then also destroy another race in the process? Or do you allow a single race to be condemned to death because they are less than human, perhaps? And it, it it's horrifying, you know, to have to sit there and make that choice. And the scariest thing of all is, you can do all of this, and all the while, you are not at all confronted with one single fact, which is that Legion has to sacrifice itself in order to give the Geth true intelligence. So I end up playing these Paragon, as I... So I constantly throw these, which meant that I get an option which allows me to convince the Quarian fleet to stop firing on the Geth. And the reason for doing this is because the Geth, all along, they don't actually want to fight the Quarians; they just want to coexist. So, if you do manage to convince them, even then, Legion still dies because it has to disseminate its, you know, it has to deconstruct its entire personality in order to give all other Geth that free will. And at the very end, instead of saying, does this unit have a soul and referring to itself as we, because again, again the Geth are not individuals, they're a networked personality. Instead, it says, I know, and it says, thank you, and says, "Kela Salai totally. Salai is a very Quarian phrase. It literally, it almost directly translates to, by the homeworld, I wish to see one day. And it's one of these moments where you sit back and you think, damn it, Bioware made me cry over a machine dying
4: <laughs> yes. I have goosebumps right now remembering all this. And mm-hmm. And this is just one of I think is it 2 or 3? I know for sure two, two. There's like
3: three different moments three
4: like crazy hard decisions Companion deaths
3: or tough decisions.
4: Cuz I mean well, both.
3: I think well, there's like a, there's a minimum of like 3 or 4 different companion deaths that you can yeah, get.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know one one's really close to the other one and I actually had to take a break because I was not, I didn't, I had no idea when I played through
2: anyway,
3: Yeah.
4: Anyways, let's, continue let's on Jump back to
3: Mass Effect 3 So yes. yeah, attacker, right? they Attack Earth, uh, right? They jump in and then immediately you're like, okay, we need to meet up with Liara on Prothean Archives. This is the orders you're now getting from Admiral Hackett. You're getting things from the very top of Alliance Brass at this point and you're told to go to the Prothean archives on Mars that were discovered way back when, you know, we're talking 42 years ago or so in Mass Effect's timeline when you go there, again, you meet up with Liara, and she recovers plans from that archive after a little bit of Cerberus intervention, in which the one Mass Effect squadmate that you save from the first game on Vermeer gets critically wounded either Ashley or Caden um, Kaden. You then, after all of this has been collected, you go to the Citadel and you decode all of this information that you got from the Mars archives. And it turns out that the information includes the blueprints that the Protheans left behind to construct an anti-Reaper superweapon known as the Catalyst. And this becomes your entire struggle in Mass Effect 3. It's not only building up the war assets... To make a push with the Catalyst that will destroy the Reapers, but also finding the different components for the, oh sorry, no, it's not the Catalyst, it's the Crucible. The Catalyst is a key component of the Crucible, uh, which is missing, but yeah, the Crucible is the device used to kill the Reapers. And it's th- this design is ancient, and it's massive, and it's effectively a weapon that is the size of a dreadnought or so. In fact, probably larger. It's larger than the Reapers themselves. And considering the scale of these things, that's huge. So it takes a vast amount of resources and engineers to build it. In order to do this, though, you need the support of the Council. And given that the Reapers have not just attacked Earth, they've attacked everywhere in Citadel space, they're not willing to do this. And so the Council, despite having not trusted you before, shoots down your decisions once again. You then go ahead and meet up with the Turian Counselor, who was always the one that doubted you the most. And he comes to you with a kind of a very odd and sort of strange (laughs) moment where he just says, I know we just shot down your idea and I know we doubted, but could you go to the Turian home planet and save what's known as our Primarch, which is kind of their supreme military leader? It turns out that the Primarch is not on Palavin. He's on a moon above Palavin. You then meet up with Garrus there. You find the Primarch, who has been killed, but by order of succession, you find the next one. It's okay. You bring them back and Turin war effort is sort of salvaged. He then says, hey, I want to try and build the Catalyst with you, but first I want to have forces to help retake Palavin from the Reaper's At which point he says, I don't see any way of doing this without involving the Krogan. And this is where politics gets very complicated. Because the Turians were the ones that the Krogan fought during the Krogan Wars. And the Turians are effectively the ones that forced the Genophage upon the Krogans, therefore ensuring their near extinction and sterilization as a species. Every single Krogan, by the way, that gets born, it's something like 99% of them die in stillbirth. As a result of the genophage, so this is no joke. Like the, the Turians have caused some serious hurt in the Krogans, they're out for blood more often than not. As a result, you then need to go ahead, negotiate, find a cure for the genophage. Is the number one for the Krogans? Turns out there is indeed a way to cure the genophage, and in order to get that cure, which is residing in various healthy Krogan females. You need to go to Sir which is the home planet of the Solarians. The Solarians, we haven't really talked too much about them, but they're super intelligent. They're some of the most intelligent aliens in all the galaxy. They're the ones who manufactured the Genophage. Morden Solus, our doctor friend, our Solarian from Mass Effect 2, was one of the key contributors to a new strain of the Genophage that enhanced it even further when the Krogans were starting to develop a resistance to it. So he's really up in there. And he's actually the one that is Rex's inside source for all this. Rex, for those of you who don't remember, is the Krogan squadmate you get in Mass Effect 1. He turns out to come back to Tuchanka, Krogan homeworld, unites Krogan clans if you've not killed him again. And he's the one that's making all the demands. He's basically the king of the Krogan. He's calling all the shots at this point. After you successfully recover all of the females from Sir Keshe, or the only one that survived, known as Eve you then have a moment where you can potentially cure the Genophage once and for all. And it's worth noting, right, the Genophage is something that the Krogan have been babbling on about through all of Mass Effect 1 through 3. It is something they will not shut up about at all. They will not stop talking about it. It is their pride and joy to talk about the Genophage nonstop. They've talked to you off about it and now you finally have a chance to cure it. However, war assets complicate things. You want to get the support of the Krogans and the Salarians, and the Turians. Now, the Turians are guaranteed no matter what you end up doing, right? Because the Turians are just going to be there. They're glad that you got Krogan support. You helped get their Primarch out. That's a pretty big deal for them, right? They're going to be with you no matter what happens. The Solarian Delatras, who's their supreme leader, comes forward to you with an option. She is not too fond of the idea of the Krogans becoming unsterilized again. So she tells you that if you don't cure the Genophage and if you deceive the Krogans into believing they've been cured, she will give you the support of the Solarian fleets. However, it's a very risky option to weigh up because the Krogans are some of the best warriors in the galaxy. This is a race that was uplifted to fight the Rachni when the Turians realized they weren't able to kill them. Their efforts in the Rachni Wars earned them a statue on the Citadel Presidium. They are the only race out there that has a statue on the Presidium. This is how important the Krogan are. This is how good they are at fighting. They are seriously good. So you have to weigh this decision against one another. If you actually killed Rex in the first game, a weaker Krogan called Reeve, who is Rex's brother, takes over instead. And he's a lot more stupid than Rex is. You're actually able to deceive him and you can get all three forces to work with you. But the Krogan are basically doomed to genocide at that point. So you can maximize your war assets, but then you don't cure the Genophage, which means you've effectively committed genocide. If you do try to deceive the Krogans, and Rex is still alive, he comes after you. No matter what happens, that mission goes down and you do get the Turian support. After all of this madness has happened, you return to the Citadel and it turns out that it's actually been attacked en masse by Cerberus of all people. Again, that's a really big deal, because... Cerberus is a human splinter cell that has more and more become just a big terrorist group. And the Citadel is huge. It's massive. It's one of those things where storming it is a really impressive feat. And they managed to lock down almost everything in it. They completely seize control, and they nearly assassinate the entire Citadel Council. One of your squadmates, Thane Creos, dies defending the Salarian Councilor. And it's a very scary moment because for the entirety of Mass Effect 2, he's been telling you that Mass Effect 2 and the suicide mission you go on in that will be his last mission because no matter what happens, even if he makes it out if they're alive, he has a degenerative disease called Virolic Syndrome. And even when he's effectively dying from what I can best describe as an extreme form of asthma that will eventually break down and kill him like lung cancer, he still sprints through the streets of the Citadel Find and save the counsellor. Takes on the assassin that Cerberus sends their way, and still gets killed for it. it. It's one of those moments that's so significant that when you kill the assassin, your shepherd will shout in fury, "That was for Thane you son of a b-, You know." And shepherd isn't exactly one to always use foul language, so yeah, it, it's a really important moment in the story, just from a personal character perspective.
4: Yeah. It's it's heavy and it's one of the very first. Well, I think uh, Legions before before this, but
3: no, nope, Legions after. Was
4: Legion after?
3: Yeah, Legions legion after. Oh, but yeah, I, I, you'll is, you'll, okay. not, you'll notice that I brushed over Morden again because I, I think that's the most traumatic. one from
4: him. <laughs> Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And so the the Thane issue happens right before Morden and Morden has a lot to do with what's going on on Tuchanka with the genophage and trying to get um the the Krogans onto everyone's side. So
3: this is the other important note about Mass Effect as well. Lots of the storytelling is based in interspecies alien politics and it actually adds a very interesting dynamic to it. Because look at modern day racial politics as a good parallel example, or even just something of racial politics of 50 years ago, there's a lot of context that binds the events and choices of the day. And that makes things very interesting. You know, supporting a Krogan or a Turian is going to be made tougher or easier given the context of the Genophage or the context of the fact that Krogans tend to be thugs or mercenaries or the fact that Turians are a little bit ruthless and did after all just sterilize a species you can then interweave all the personal stuff like this may be a decision between rex and a turian commander that you don't know you rex is one of the people you trust and he is effectively your buddy he's one of the most reasonable krogan you know alternatively the turian commander might have just accidentally sacrificed their men because they're inexperienced but all of this stuff weaves together and again you ask yourself the question Who should you trust more? Who is correct in this situation? What party should I side with? Who has been wronged? Who has privilege? It's a very important set of principles that you have to confront yourself with every single time that you make a decision that involves an alien race in this game. And I think that in itself is amazing. You even have... I don't necessarily want to say that this is the case, but I get a very sort of white supremacist vibe from the guys at Cerberus. And I genuinely Mm -hmm. do feel as though there is a... There's like a huge underlying plot point which especially seeing as Cerberus's dialogue always talks about like at its most extreme roots like the purity of humanity and ensuring humanity's dominance throughout the Milky Way all of that constantly hints at this crazy crazy parallel and that makes you reflect on modern day stuff Mass Effect's, as a result got this really powerful way of forcing you to step into another person's shoes and opening up your perspectives. It's really Really effective at doing that. Real so yeah, Justin, real
0: quick questions. Uh Mage in chat provided Joker's illness is Rolex syndrome and Oh god, yeah. It's actually not ket um yeah, yeah. It uh, is. Thane Thane he says Thane has ke- Keprels. Is that how you say it? Ke- Kepril syndrome. Kepril yep. syndrome? I'm mixing
3: oh, up the two. It's absolutely correct. It's not, it's not a Rolex syndrome. Yeah, it is indeed Kepp. I don't syndrome.
0: know what any of that means, but
3: yes. Kepler syndrome, again, it's something where eventually, because of the nature of the planet that the Drell were living on um, at the time of their relocation... Screw it! Let's go on a little tangent for this. So Yay, the drells home world gets just yeah. The drells home world basically <laughs> environmentally degrades, if I'm not mistaken, and so they're relocated by another race called the Hanar which are kind of like a uh, sentient alien squid, not the Reaper kind. These are less Cthulhu-like. They're think of them as big purple jellyfish, right? Okay, they're very
2: cute. They're, they're very cute, they're kind of tall. funny,
3: and they they always refer to themselves in third person by saying, "This one believes it has seen an enkindler You know, it's. They're very super trippy to look at or listen to, and it's hilarious when you meet them for the first time. It's a bit of a big... Yeah, it's a bit of a meme for them, which is just that pink stupid jellyfish, right? But the, um, the Hanar live on an ocean world, right? Their entire... You know, their their entire society is based around water, and the Drell live traditionally on an arid planet. Living on a water-based planet eventually degrades the Drell's lungs because they're not used to something that is so humid. Um, as a result, this causes like a breakdown in their lungs, and eventually it just causes them to die uh, because of respiratory failure. What Joker has instead is Virolic Syndrome, not um, Kepprel Syndrome, which is, again, Mage, and thank you for correcting me on that one. But yeah, um, Virolic Syndrome is Joker's interesting character point because it's effectively called brittle bone disease. It means that he is unable to walk a lot, has to use crutches or sit in a chair. He's not very mobile because he has ultra-weak bones. You could punch him in the ribs with very light force, probably, and he would break two or three of them. So easy on Joker is the yeah. best way of putting it. And he actually
1: means, he actually an actual it. thing called osteogenesis yeah. imperfecta.
4: And um, it's also of note <clears throat> that um Joker in Mass Effect 2 when the first Normandy SR1 was was going down he couldn't escape because of his syndrome and so Shepard went back to go save him and in the process of saving him was able to save Joker but ended up dying himself cuz he got stuck on the ship so
3: it's not even just that like i mean Joker doesn't move a lot of syndrome and admittedly he doesn't go and rush immediately for the escape pods but also the guy loves his ship. He's a pilot through and through. He, yeah. he he doesn't want to see the Normandy go down. Like The Normandy is literally in tatters. It has multiple space hull breaches. You can see a panorama through the Normandy's CIC by the time you reach Joker. And he's still sitting there with his own contained mask and breather in the cockpit as it's collapsing. And he says, no, I can still save her. And it's like, mm-hmm. you see the Normandy floating along in space. Its engines have been destroyed. Like the vessel is coming around for another attack. It gets sheared in two, mm-hmm. you know, it, this, this is a man who really does love his ship.
4: And so... this is why when Edie comes around at first, it was kind of like, he's like, well, no, 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 no. This is my, this is my ship. But um, when Edie becomes more sentient and actually goes into a human type form
2: yeah. Um,
4: she Weird. yeah so it's basically they're they're playing on the fact that joker loves his ship so much that he's going might is trying to have a relationship with his ship so it's, so it's, so it's
0: he kind of he was a he was oh, a leaf on the wind
3: what god <laughs> <laughs>
4: Blue?
1: that's a firefly please do
4: that. reference Just please?
3: <laughs> i need to i need to watch that show
1: I really i've watched that show
4: and i still didn't catch that reference whoa
1: that's actually from the whoa! movie
4: yeah, i watched from, the movie i still around. didn't catch that i still didn't catch that
1: uh
0: anyway. it's at the very end that's bife bife yes bife. i'll Seriously. watch it Don't okay. Worry. okay
3: okay but if, if I watch no. if I watch Firefly, will you play Mass Effect?
4: I, yes, that's what I was gonna say. I think
0: I'm getting the. Mm. I think you're getting the better end of this deal f- from the hours. <laughs> <laughs> Are you no,
4: no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 Let
4: me explain why, Blue. Because you're going to actually be able to play a game and get all of it and be satisfied at the end. Well, potentially satisfied. Don't finish at the this end.
0: sentence. <laughs> don't finish this sentence.
4: Don't. Whereas don't. Uh. 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 No. Bife is gonna watch it and he's gonna go. <sighs> Where's the rest? I know what. What? So join, life is really join us get in get the, the sh- end of the stick here. <laughs> join us. Sh- join us. Like,
3: Mass Effect Three's ending in the end is bad, right? Like e- even after they do the extended cut, it's like okay, well, still that all the choices didn't really come to a perfect head here in the end, but it's still an ending. It's still an ending. Yeah, everything's
4: and wrapped you guys up. You
3: have that in Firefly, as far as I hear. So,
4: yeah. Oh. Anyway,
3: this
2: is true. It's Off still good. It's still good. Please. Exactly. But yeah,
3: um, Citadel is attacked. As we said, you've got the whole horrifying thing. We have to save the councillors. It turns out the human counselor, Udina, was actually indoctrinated during all of this. This is one of the scary moments at which you realize um, that Cerberus is potentially just being controlled by the Reapers, full stop. You also get hints at this like at the very beginning when you're on Mars. You take a look at one of the Cerberus soldiers and they've got implants that make their face look like a Reaper husk. So, you know, you've got a whole bunch of different clues that they are actually just under the thumb of the Reapers in the first place. You even get things like Javix uh, tells you of the previous nature of his cycle, how there were, you know, individuals who betrayed us from within and said that we should use Reaper technology instead of trying to destroy the Reapers. And the guys at Cerberus, practically speaking, do the exact same thing.
4: Um oh, yeah. an elusive man tough. also <clears throat> looks like he has been severely upgraded with mechanics. He kind of has the blue glowing eye thing like the husks do. So there's a lot of interesting um nods to the theory that they are fully indoctrinated. I don't they don't f- come right out and fully s- well, they do. I think at the at very end. end. They right. do. Yeah, when you do end. this when you do this the diverse HQ, I think they finally are. So it's kind of oh, yeah it's kind of up in the air um, of for when they got fully indoctrinated. Like when, if you were, w- when you were working under Cerberus, did it occur during then or did it occur after uh, that part? I think is kind of left up to inter- interpretation.
3: Mm. So yeah, the uh, attack on the again, the indoctrinated counselor, Udina is eventually killed. Um, you manage to save the rest of the Citadel Council. You then get a whole bunch of other requests from different places. This is the point at which the Rannoch missions happen. You have to decide between the Quarians and the Gath. And that's traumatizing in itself, but it's the last real breath of freedom that you get before you jump into the final few sequence of missions. Um, after you've done all the Rannoch stuff, which, again, we've already explained and you've saved either the quarians or the geth or both, you go and you have a priority mission at Thessia, which is the home planet of the Asari. And it turns out the Asari government has been hiding a secret all this time, which is that they have a key Prothean relic within one of their temples within Thessia's main city. And your mission is to go there and extract that relic, whilst it is under attack by reapers. So not exactly an easy thing to do, considering that there's Reapers everywhere and everywhere. And it's bad. It's like really, really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you go to you go to Thessia, and it turns out the relic that the Asari government has been hiding and could have been helping others with for ages, uh, it turns out it's a Prothean VI, which is activated when you get close to it. And you can only do this because of the cipher and a few other things that you recovered in Mass Effect 1. Uh, which is really incredible if you think about it, you know, it goes all the way back to events in the original game. So when you've uncovered the VI, ah, excuse me, it's late over here. Um, You know, it tells you about the super weapon you're trying to build. It tells you about the crucible. And in particular, at this point, you're trying to find out what the catalyst is. You know, that one component they need to complete the crucible. It's about to tell you what the catalyst is. And then all of a sudden it detects an indoctrinated presence and Kai Lang appears. Kai Lang is the same person that attempted to assassinate the Solarian counselor that Thane gave their life to protect. Kai Lang defeats you in an encounter and then ends up stealing the Prothean VI and then takes it to the Cerberus HQ. This is not exactly great. You then go ahead and have to hunt down Kai Lang's tracks, and this brings you to a base called Horizon, where Kai Lang was visiting. Horizon has been constantly probed at throughout all of Mass Effect 3, and Horizon is one of these strange locations where there's like a relief and refugee colony that's been set up. Spoiler alert, it's actually a Cerberus facility, and they're turning people into husks, and Cerberus is experimenting on whether or not they can control these husks. Because Reaper Tech... Spoiler alert, they can't control the husks because <laughs>
0: idiots. Who saw this one coming? Yeah, <laughs>
3: because, you know, there's, there's a running joke between you and Joker and Garrus at a certain point during this. It's like, I liked the old Cerberus when they were just comically... Um, <laughs> it, it was like, I, I think... It's, it's like, I loved the uh, old Cerberus back in the days when they were just comedically incompetent. Uh, Shepard, would you mind just coming in and cleaning up the rogue AI that we released that could potentially cause a cyber plague on the galaxy? That'd be great. Oh, and by the way, we accidentally hacked into some geth here. Could you you clean that up too? And there was a team that went dark on a derelict reaper that's turned into husks. Could you help those guys out too? Oh, and by the way, one of our groups of scientists crash landed on a planet and one of them basically turned all of the females in the group into his massive harem. Should you help that out, please? No. Oh, thanks,
4: okay. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> bye.
3: Long story short, Cerberus is a goddamn mess. <laughs> Cerberus <laughs> is terrible, just man. the worst.
4: <laughs> but, yeah. They try real hard, but fail at a lot of things. The only thing they did right is bring back Shepherd, Shepherd. and Miranda's butt. Like those are the only things they did right. So. Oh,
3: it's so glorious! Oh my god. <laughs>
4: it's a running joke throughout the whole entire mass effect series that miranda has the nicest butt out of anyone and they make a very good point of all the anytime when you have a dialogue or cutscene with her there is always always a camera angle that's really questionable on her butt it's not it's just it just pans on her butt or she's standing in these really like awkward poses that women normally wouldn't stand in but like she's standing in them and her back is like an S. she's sticking her butt out so much i'm just like what are you doing
3: on a completely unrelated note, Miranda was in my first ever Mass Effect two and three playthrough.
4: Mm, I I I did not like Miranda. I sh- I thought she was not. She was too much of yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a know it all B word, and not in the good way. So, and besides, mm-hmm. she was she she didn't swing with the same team, so that didn't matter anyway.
1: <laughs> didn't have, didn't have anything to do with her butt.
4: No, I I admire the butt, very much so. But uh, okay. um <laughs> I'm more I'm more of a Turian person myself. I'll just okay. well, especially ones that do a lot of calibrations, you know.
3: You thank, like the scars thank. on the face. I'm very yeah. tolerant. Scars oh, yeah. are very sexy. I,
0: I know I know the word you were looking for.
3: The, it, it's, what's it's the hot okay? It's a, it's a what's bush the hot pot about?
4: Oh my gosh.
2: Bush yes
4: <laughs> oh, that's why because mage in the chat was he's nice been pestering to
0: to me to drop that into the conversation wow mm. oh, okay oh, boy,
4: back to serious on back to seriousness we're getting to the point where it gets real serious like even oh, more yeah. serious than it was serious it's gonna get so serious S- we're serious speaking of
3: miranda um by the way she turns up on horizon She's fought with Kai Lang a little bit, and she's also fought with her father, who is a major plot point. Miranda is genetically engineered, hence the great butt, apparently. Um, But yeah, he has also taken Miranda's sister captive, and he wants out. She wants to rescue her sister. After a small kind of showdown, you speak to Miranda, and it turns out she managed to plant a tracker on Kai Lang, and this leads you straight to the Cerberus headquarters. This sequence hits off the final few missions of Mass Effect. When you go to the Cerberus HQ, there is no turning back. When you do go there, a few things happen. So first of all, you have your showdown with and defeat Kai Lang, and it's epic. Again, one of the better boss fights I've ever had in video games, just because of the final part to it being so unbelievably badass. Just the the final sequence. You know what I'm talking about, Mel. Mm -hmm. The interrupt. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to spoil it just because the moment in itself is so cool. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Spoiler alert, hit the Renegade option. It's goddamn awesome. But yeah, after that <laughs> happens, you recover <laughs> the Prothean VI, right? The Prothean the VI mm-hmm. at this point tells you that the Catalyst, the bit that you've been missing from the Crucible all along, the superweapon that you need to kill the Reapers, the Catalyst is in fact the Citadel, the massive F off space station that has been around ever since the beginning. Right? So... After you go ahead and do that, you realize the Citadel itself has actually been taken and abducted by the Reapers and moved to above Earth. So everything is coming to a climax now. All of the pieces have been moved into place. You have assembled all the fleets of the galaxy, and you then have to go to Earth, bring the Crucible with you, dock it with the Citadel, and then activate the Crucible for good and destroy the Reapers. And this is the final battle. For those of you who want to see what I think is probably the most epic scene I've ever seen in video games, type in Citadel Fleet. No, wait, not Citadel Fleet. uh, Mass Effect 3, fleets arrive. And I want you to try and count how many different warp noises come in. Because in Mass Effect, you get used to the continuous sound of one or two, or maybe even three... Engines coming through a Mass Effect relay. The sound is pretty distinctive. It's just this little, you know. You hear that non-stop for this scene, and it's amazing. It's like, for people who play Destiny, you remember the very beginning of The Taken King where there was that fleet battle? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take that and times it by 200, and that's the kind of scale that we're talking about. It's as far as the event horizon goes and there's ships fighting reapers and it's chaos and you get about five minutes of this cutscene, but it is the most epic thing i've seen in video games if there's mm-hmm. one link i want you to check out it's that mm-hmm. and play with the music too because it it's one of those moments where bioware really do its thing properly you know it's the moment where i felt at least mass effect 3 was at its strongest because you had all of the events that you had play out, all of the different choices that you made throughout all the games that had led you to acquire these war assets, and all of a sudden every single one of them had just spilled through a Mass Effect relay and it's one of those moments where it's just like, okay I got everything, this is all that I have built bring it on, you know it's the most epic moment I've ever experienced in gaming full stop so, yeah damn cool You head down to Earth with this. You realize that you need to make it onto the Citadel, and the only way you can do that is through a lift that the Reapers have placed. The reason that they've taken the Citadel to Earth is because humans are the first species they want to harvest, and they want to make the next Reaper out of humans. Remember that every single extinction cycle ends with the birth of a new Reaper. They've nearly finished harvesting humanity at this point. Earth is a shell of what it used to be. You then have to go to this lift that takes you to the Citadel, and the entire fight on Earth's surface below the massive fleet battle that's occurring is to reach this lift. You do manage to make it up the lift eventually. You are badly damaged when you do. This is after you've said all your goodbyes and after everybody has finished their final fights.
2: Mm. You
3: make it onto the Citadel, and eventually you manage to open the arms, and this allows the Crucible to dock with the Citadel, the weapon is primed. And then you're told by the guys up there, after this conversation between you, Captain Anderson, who is now Admiral Anderson at this point, and the Elusive Man, after all of this is done, you're then told you need to activate the weapon. There's no switch for it. And by this point, your shepherd has literally been caught in the beam of a Reaper's laser. They are scarred. They've been shot. They are bleeding out. And they don't know how the hell they're supposed to activate it. There's no button for this. There's no controls. And they collapse. Then something very strange happens. They're brought up to another part of the Citadel that they've never seen before. One that is directly linking the Citadel and the Crucible together. They are then presented with an opportunity to talk with the artificial intelligence created by the Leviathans so long ago that is dictating what the reapers do you actually get to sit down and meet with this intelligence which funnily enough calls itself the catalyst and it gives you three choices this is the infamous unsatisfying ending of mass effect which considering how many different options you had it's not as unsatisfying as i think people give it credit for your options are as follows number one You can use the power of the Crucible to destroy the Reapers. However, this has only a short-term fix. As the Catalyst says, your children will create machines of their own, and then the chaos will begin again. However, you will have killed the Reapers, and it means the galaxy will be free from these extinction cycles. But it could go extinct entirely. You then have the control option which gives you the ability to take control of the reaper forces and become a reaper yourself. Now this one again has its own moral implications because you become the enemy effectively, but you can also stop them from attacking. You can make the reapers rebuild, but realistically, do you want to do that after every single piece of rubble that has, you know, fallen on earth has been counted and in the ashes of trillions of dead souls? Will that be enough? Is that something that they can accept? Is this some kind of strange surrender? There's so many different questions that you have to ask when choosing control. The third option is the weirdest, and it's the hippie one, which I chose, which is synthesis. And that's where the catalyst effectively manages to combine all organic and synthetic life into one simple template, which is a merging of the two. Organics have parts of the machines embracing them, and machines have organic parts too. So, you then have this choice. This choice will affect everyone in the galaxy, and it's left up to you to make it. There is a fourth option by which you can say, No, I reject your options, and I just want to fight it out. But this is certain doom, because the Reaper forces, even after you've collected the might of the entire galaxy, will undoubtedly destroy you. And that brings us to Mass Effect's ending. No matter what you end up choosing, it, it's kind of cataclysmic event. Everybody, no matter who they are, is going to have something that affects them from this. And that is kind of how the Mass Effect 3 ends and how the entire series has been left at this point.
4: It is um, It's also too important to note that if you choose the destroy option... It doesn't destroy just the Reapers, it destroys all synthetic life too. So the gaff would be killed, E D would ED be killed. Dies. Yeah. So you that has even further consequences. So it's not as an easy of a choice to just say, Yeah, I'll just destroy the Reapers. Sure, why not? Save the galaxy. But it had you you're killing a bunch of synthetic life and then you do have the possibility of the cycle regoing around. So and then other ones have other consequences, too, depending upon which one you choose. Um, all of them, um, except for destroy, under certain, certain circumstances, Shepard does die or becomes one with the catalyst and you're synthesized or whatever. Um if you do have enough war assets at the end of Destroy, you after all the cutscenes and everything like that goes through, you do get like this like half a second little bit of where you see Shepard's body breathe air again. So they leave it open under the Destroy option. If you had enough war assets, that Shepard might have lived, but they don't really elaborate anything more on that. Um so, but but yeah, my first one I chose synthesis 2 Bife. So I felt like that was the one that kind of appeased.
2: Nobody everyone. has
3: to die. No but... one has
4: to die. <laughs> We're it's, all machines now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> such a
3: weird one, right? Like you don't. This is what's so interesting about this moment in Mass Effect. I've never felt like in a video game I've had such an incredible choice where everybody in the universe is going to get affected. You know, mm-hmm. because quite literally, this choice—no matter what you choose—is being forced upon the people of the galaxy, right? Like, yes. destroy is not necessarily going to affect a Turian, but it's going to kill a Geth. And at the same time, if I choose control, everybody is then going to have to live with the potential of the Reapers still being around. That's mm-hmm. generations worth of PTSD, and also the realization that your enemy is now your friend is that even right considering all the reapers have done the millions upon millions upon millions that they've killed can you forgive can can you even say that that's the correct choice but then you throw on top of that the idea of synthesis just in the same way that brainwashing someone would be wrong or removing let, let's say i cut off justin's arm and then gave him a synth one instead It's not right, because he hasn't necessarily made that choice. There is no easy ending option here. Mm -mm. This is why it's so frustrating, in a certain sense, because all of these endings have dramatic consequences, but you never really get to see them play out. And this is kind of the frustrating thing about Mass Effect 3's ending, is you didn't really see the difference. But realistically, Mm -hmm. how could they have? You know?
4: Yeah. I I I always felt the ending was... I mean, I guess they could have done more, but I always felt satisfied with the ending because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel that there was more that they could do. Like, obviously, everything is going to have to come to a point of convergence on, on something. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this was that point of convergence. Regardless, and may, and I know a lot of the complaints were that you've done all these decisions, you've done all these things, and then now all of it meant nothing up until this point because it came down to three choices. I, I don't necessarily agree that was what it boiled down to because I felt the, the beauty of the game was more of a journey there, not the destination. So for me, like the three choices and stuff seemed reasonable. And I... I you have to really think about how much this affects everything. Like, yeah, you just see it right there on your screen. You see a cute little, you see a small little cut scene of your, of your companions and some te- and some dialogue spoken to you and the extended cut. And that's kind of it. But like, in reality, how are they going to show, you know, this galaxy being saved, or the, all these other people being destroyed, um, within you know, without having to play like an hour-long movie, like I just felt, I felt it was, it was right. Like it was, it was enough to satisfy. I didn't feel like there really needed to be too much more. So, um, do we want to mm. cover any of uh, the, uh, the spin foil ideas about Mass Effect?
3: Series? I mean, we still have Andromeda.
4: Okay, you want... Like,
3: to- what, what little we know, right?
4: Little we know. I, I was wondering, do we want to talk about the possibility that Shepard was indoctrinated through most of the series?
3: Oh, dude, they like they they, they debunked the indoctrination theory, but it's still one it? of the fan favorites. There's multiple, like, three-hour videos. Yeah, like, the whole point of the extended cut ending was to say, like, no, the, the indoctrination ending is not a thing. Oh. But I always felt
4: still, like there's still possibility, but... Yeah. Uh, oh,
1: yeah. There's
4: um, still she- multiple
1: three-hour videos out there. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, Bye. Shaytheon from chat wanted to know, do you have any videos doing speculation for the um, next ma- Mass Effect game, Andromeda? Uh, not just speculation, but
3: news. Uh, more Ooh. coming this year, actually, when I get back to the YouTube grind. But yeah, the new Mass Effect game coming this year is called Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, to give you guys a little bit of backstory on this this game technically starts between the events of mass effect two and three it starts with something called the andromeda initiative what happens is you uh as well as several hundred thousand others leave the milky way behind and then you travel for over 600 years at ftl speeds to the andromeda galaxy And this is their way of taking you away from Shepard's storyline, but still giving you the Mass Effect characters that you want. Mm -hmm. So, you bring with you four arcs, each one containing each of the major council races. So, that's Human, Asari, Turian, and Solarian. And then, on top of that, you bring with you what's known as the Nexus, which is kind of like an equivalent of the Citadel. It's this massive station hub that everybody goes to. Uh... The Andromeda Initiative is something that, you know, it kind of has its own massive infrastructure to it. You know, the equivalent of Spectres from the original Mass Effect are known as Pathfinders, and there's four of them, one for each of the arcs. And their job is literally just to establish a new home for each of the uh, respective races within the Andromeda Galaxy. And, you know, it's this really interesting thing of exploration, but. The neat thing about this is it's Mass Effect 3's combat um, with Mass Effect 2's story and character progression, supposedly, and then taking some of the skill systems from Mass Effect 1, which is what some people really liked because it's closer to a true RPG. If they pull it off, then this is supposedly going to be one of the biggest ones, but their biggest story assets here, which is Shepard, right? Like Doing a Mass Effect game now without the attached earlier stories, it's going to be tough. But at the same time, there's so much potential because they build in a lot of cool different things from what the universe has already established, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you've got cool things potentially here. I don't don't know about you guys, but personally, I'm really excited for this one.
4: I am too. And i I really don't want them to incorporate Shepherd beyond the occasional mention of it in lore because I felt Shepherd's journey and their story was perfect the way it was, and I don't want them to try to rehash that just to see like, oh, Shepard was so popular, let's throw it in the new game, or let's let's bring it back or something along those lines. I'm like, no. I'm, I'm kind of glad that they decided, you know, we're not going to even be in the Milky Way galaxy. We're going to go to this completely other star system. And I'm really excited to see what they do with that and to learn about the heroes and the different squad mates. And then obviously we're going to get all these new different races that we're going to encounter in different planets. And I believe they said this is the biggest map that they have ever made for a game at BioWare. Correct, Mike?
3: It's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. The, yes. the best thing about all of this. Yeah. We're doing this in Andromeda, which means they can genuinely push the boundaries of what can be imagined. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's not just the thing of saying, okay, we're in the horse, which is cool because it's a thing that actually exists. They can make up anything, and it's like, yo, you don't know that this doesn't exist. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, and it's, I think at some point exciting.
1: too, it's like Shepard's been through enough. You just need to let him lay down for a little bit. Yeah, um, kind of like the. Yeah the guardian in the cage stash mission who's refusing to be to be resurrected exactly yeah so i
4: I, yeah so i'm i'm really hoping um i have high hopes for this i really do so but i'm knowing that it's a bioware title and it's i i love the setting of the mass effect like space dramas is my my number one thing that i love so I'm have I'm really really excited, and the fact that it's take like the actual events in the drama take place 500 years after Shepherd's decision um, of what to do with the Reapers, so like there's not much that not many characters that they can bring um, for guest appearances. I think the only one that would be right. old enough to do it maybe would be Lyarra, but then she would be a matriarch by that point. So, but
3: And even then, it's like, well, I mean, what decision how did, you get did they make? This is the, yeah. the, the amazing thing about. this, universe that they've created in the spin-off andromeda side of things is that they are totally cut off there is no way for them to communicate between galaxies. so they don't even know that the reaper invasion has happened right like reapers is maybe a whispered word among one or two of the more superstitious members of the crew that was on the nexus right yeah and that's that's it you know realistically they don't even most people have never even heard of shepherd right yeah. some of them will know him as the hero of the citadel whatever yada yada but it doesn't even matter to them anymore right mm. as far as they're concerned his struggle is quite literally an entire galaxy away there is no reason they have to care
4: yeah and i i'm glad for that because i don't I love Shepard, but I don't want it in, in Andromeda. Keep it separate. Keep it in its own mm-hmm. its own thing. So, but exciting. Exciting. Yeah. So exciting. I'm excited for what they're going to do for the combat and for the gameplay. Um I loved how fluid everything was in Mass Effect 3 between going from your biotic powers to your gun or to whatever it is you want to do. I thought it was very fluid going through all the different actions. So I'm really excited to see how they're going to do that in Andromeda. I know there's a lot more where you're not specifically capped into a class so much. You can do this and this and this and this. So it's exciting, but um yeah, blue, do we have any dispatches from the wild? I I decided not to do the costume lore corner because we've gotten so like with um, so long.
0: Not for Mass Effect. I have I have one that is kind of uh, ambiguous. It's not really specific to any particular game, but it's more about mm-hmm. story writing, but I was going to save it for Friday because it's okay. actually kind of interestingly going to be very close to what we're talking about on Friday for the Destiny episode. So I was going to save that one, but no, I did not get any for this one that I can remember.
4: Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, very cool. Um, I Like I said, I don't want to do a costume lore thing because we'll be here for another hours, if I mm-hmm. can everyone. So, uh, if anyone really wants to hear my thoughts on maybe a specific character, go ahead and send us um, some emails, and I'll be happy to answer them that way.
1: Ooh, so. and also another thing: Mel hmm. has cosplayed Femme Shepard, correct?
4: I, I yes, I haven't done the armor because I have this very specific envision of it. It's like one of my it's my literally my dream project doing Femme Shep armored and like n7 armor from mass effect three like doing that specific armor set um it is literally my number one dream costume and the way i want to do it is is a very difficult way i want to do it but it's like the way her armor would be made um but i have done the um the dress outfit that she wears in the citadel dlc and i also did kasumi who is one of the dlc companions you can get into and she does come up in three um kasumi was actually a really cool character i thought her design was really awesome so i've done those two from from mass effect series i want the, i want more but mass effect costumes are incredibly incredibly difficult to make they are definitely one of the top ones that i think are some of the most difficult difficult cautions that you can pick Have you, from have you seen
3: the people that just turn themselves into full sorry and like yes. put on a massive oh one God. of
4: my friends that, actually that is
3: something to be admired i'm not gonna lie it's yeah
4: one of my friends, she actually makes and sells a lot of the Asari headpieces. She sculpts them and then casts them and sells them. So um, it's pretty crazy. It's like a, it's like almost like a hat that you put on, and then you put li- liquid latex around the edges of the piece so on your face and on your neck, and then of course you paint yourself blue or bluish purple, whatever your preference is. It's a good color. So, it's a great yeah, color. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I would love to do a sorry.
4: I would love to do a sorry, but oh my gosh, doing body paint and all that, that application of the prosthetic and stuff is just, it's, that's why I say Mass Effect costumes are not easy at Mm -hmm. all. So. Then again,
3: I don't envy the guys who are trying to make full Turian costumes, but that's like a whole nother level of crazy.
4: I know. So. Actually, I know I know a lot of people, but and the, there's another person that I follow that makes actually the Turian masks, and they're incredible. They're so crazy. Like they she the way she has them hook onto the jaw so that way it actually moves when you talk, and then she uses these glass eyes for the actual Turian eyes. And it's they're gorgeous they're literally our works of art and then i've seen a couple people who've done like garris and stuff like that and have done the whole outfit and put themselves like on stilts and stuff to make themselves a little taller like garris and it's it's crazy it's crazy what some people can do with costumes and yeah i'll 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 be quiet now about costumes because otherwise you're gonna get me off on a really long tangent (laughs) (laughs) or you could just
0: bug mel in discord you know if you get enough yeah. people, if you if you say her name like enough times, she might she might appear. Yeah. Is it like is it like Beetlejuice, where if you say it three times Yeah, is times it? No, like
4: no, no. times by like <laughs>
0: fifth.
2: Cosplay,
4: cosplay, cosplay.
0: Yeah. That's well, what we need to do. To... Just put what? her in a cosplay channel. Just no. Yeah, you
4: can go. Yeah, yeah. If you guys, yeah, seriously, if you guys, if you want to open up a channel to talk about costumes and like costume theory, um, I would be totally down. So and it took a three-hour
1: show for Blue to create a new room. Hey. He
0: just loves it so much. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Anyone who doesn't <laughs> get the joke should probably jump in Discord. <laughs> we don't have we don't have many rooms at all. I don't know what you guys are talking about.
4: I don't know. Like, there's only like one or two left to
0: like... One or two.
4: 100.
2: Yeah. 100.
0: Yeah, 100. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, man. Cool. So, shout outs. Bye. If you want to, you have any big shout outs?
3: Merely shout out to you guys on Focus Fire because it's been kind of incredible being invited on here again. I love doing this. I, I guess maybe one other, which is to. A, another podcast out there for any of you guys who love Mass Effect, you need to check out the Androma Nerds podcast. If you want to YouTube it. Um it's made by four different YouTubers um uh who are all sort of just really big into the Mass Effect universe. They they love it to bits. It's um uh let's see if I can get this all right. Uh you've got Minius, you've got Biofan, you've got um Ability Drain or AD, and you've got Tucker from Mass Effect Follower. So all four of them, they are just, they are a fantastic set of guys and gals. And seriously, like, go and follow them. Their podcast is great banter. And if you're looking for a Mass Effect podcast that is giving you news and updates, they are your guys and gals. So, yeah.
0: Oh, I say guys so and we
3: gals. Should... There's, there's one gal for Ability <laughs> Drain. But yeah point is this good podcast
1: good podcast check out
3: focus fire
0: check out the guys over at andromeda nerds
1: yeah we should definitely link that. link them yeah I
0: will mm-hmm. I shout will us. look that link up and get that in the show notes for everyone um shout outs for myself next topic is going to be the legend of zelda which I'm actually looking forward to I it's gonna be it's gonna be nice revisiting some good memories from from that series And uh, also just big, big shout out to uh, Bife. Thank you so much for jumping on. I know it was kind of touch and go schedule wise, but um, we love having you back. We make it happen. It's okay. We got this. We got this. (laughs) All right, Justin, what you got? (laughs) Um,
1: I've got first that I really resent being pushed to page two of show notes. Don't like that. Right. Front page material, even on a bad day. Um, big, Someone... big, huge thanks to uh, Damo and Demi for being on last week for our House of Devils um, focused fire episode. That was really fun, and a big shout out to Bife for being our first guest of 2017. Big okay. hand,
0: mm-hmm. yeah!
2: Uh, on our first episode
1: of 2017. <laughs> yeah,
0: it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm.
2: It's a good I'll episode to start 2017 time.
0: What's
3: Justin, that? This has been the least roasted episode with both of us on, right?
1: Yeah, I've been, been trying to be well-behaved, and you just keep taking shots at me and cutting off my arm. <laughs> I and think I've <laughs> Blue more. Yeah, well, Blue was like, I'm going to be the lovable buffoon this time, and Justin can... You're, you know,
3: you're sitting there asking real questions and blue salient it, you know, points I
0: loved it, you know. I was tr- I was trying to I was trying the uh the Justin hat for the episode. Yeah. To see yeah. see how it felt.
1: I you couldn't feel these shoes,
0: son. I didn't I didn't like it. Um, I'm going I'm going to go back to my by role next episode.
1: You are just going to hear him go, oh, "That was terrifying." <laughs> um so and again, uh big shout out to the mod team for our awesome gifts last week and uh just for being very prodigious human beings. Love it. Um and I'm gonna kick it off the mail.
4: Oh short shout outs of
1: 2017.
4: There's only been one shout-out so far. So like shh, shh, the bar is high. <laughs> all, all right, all right. Um yes, um kind of echoing the same thing. Thank you, Demo and Demi, for coming in uh for last week's episode. That was awesome, especially since I had to bug out early. I don't know if anyone noticed. Probably not. But (laughs) thank you for being there. Um, Bife. awesome. feeling to meet you because I feel like I've been social network stalking you for a while. And it's like, oh, it's Bife. (laughs) Wait, Bife's going to be on the show? Holy crap. So it
3: was cool. I have those moments where it's like, I follow Mel. Okay. (laughs) Cool.
4: Yes, yeah, so. I know. I
3: know exactly what you mean, though. It's like you'll look at some, your timeline, and it's like, I know why I follow you. We have never interacted, though. Yes. Damn it! Did you just describe me?
1: Bife is <laughs> describing me. Yeah. Yeah. He is.
3: <laughs> I just think I just described your relationship with all women, Justin.
0: <laughs> there it is.
1: And oh, yeah. the streak is over. <laughs> oh, y'all saw that, right? I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> it was
3: like an iceberg to the Titanic. It had to happen sometime. Oh, boy.
4: Oh, oh yeah. But anyways, thank you for being here, Fife. It was really cool to meet you. Finally, get thank some, you. like, I kind of know him, not know him type of thing now because we did a podcast again. Mm-hmm. So, um,. Yes. Awesome. Thank you to the chat for being awesome as always. Also my chat team. You guys are awesome. Like I I can't wait to actually tackle my book and make it look more destiny lore-ish. It's going to be great it's gonna be great i'll send pictures um but other than that um not other stuff oh oh i have one thing if you guys are in the uh sacramento california area i will be at sac anime this weekend um I'll, i'm not guesting or anything i just have a table i'll be selling stuff so if you guys want to come by and say hi if you happen to be going um that would be cool um if not then then yeah that's it that's all i have so yay awesome mm.
0: And then uh, we will obviously be linking Bife's channel because he's got a lot of Mass Effect stuff already up there. He's, and he might be yeah. putting more up. I don't uh, know. It coming. seems seems kind there of like a project that he's going to be. More. I, I think it's a project you're going to stick more. with, right? Right. There's, right. there's
3: going to be some fun Mass Effect okay, stuff. Okay. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> well, with all that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend the evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Thank you again, Bife, for jumping in the chat. Really appreciate you having you here and, you know, obviously teaching everyone here what we're, what we were supposed to be talking about tonight. Please be sure to No, no, no worries. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through email as well. We do try to stream a recap of the month long extra lore conversations in the first week of each month. But if we do have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account at focusfirechat. Also, Be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So, until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright. Oh, and Kila Salai, Guardians. started. I'm
2: at, I didn't I'm do it. I'm looking over
4: this, and it it just feels so cut and dry.
0: I don't even know mm-hmm. what it says. So I like it's it's got words. And have
4: you have you, <clears throat> you played Mass Effect?
0: Though? No, no. Oh, I know. Wow. I yeah. know that no matter what you do, the uh, endings uh, are all the same.
4: Uh, 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 yes, is-
1: I finally uh, broke someone else. Uh, uh, I've actually got I've actually got blue beat here because my son's playing the first Mass Effect right now and I'm watching him play
3: it.
0: What?
3: Oh my yeah. gosh, blue! This is shameful.
1: This you know,
0: you know when I, Reapers, when I see Reapers, when uh, I see Reapers, Goram Reapers. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I Except I know it's Reavers and Firefly, will, but that's still what I
4: say. Yeah, you will never understand when you hear the whale sound how much terror that inflicts mm-hmm. on you yes you, yes and i then will that's oh, yeah. bio yeah. No, no 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 mm-hmm. no. it's it's there's also the very similar sounds ones piano more really, the yes the piano and then yes. you the piano and then you mm-hmm. want to start breaking down and have a moment for yourself like
3: it's like, I don't have someone in my life that I can have Ugh. relationship feels with right now. I need to find someone because the music demands. Okay, let me, keep, I'll, be, I'll be right back.
4: Yeah, so, and I may, I I, I I. have no words. Like, I am stammering right now that you, neither mm-hmm. of you have even, like, yeah. played so at I least I the first
1: one. That, what I got from that <laughs> is Mass Effect makes Bife swipe right. That's what I got. Eight I, That's I, totally going in the after show.
4: <laughs> if you swipe right, does that mean you're you're paragon here now? You're paragoning.
0: It
3: does indeed. I'm all <laughs> actually renegade. I think is right trigger.
2: Um, is, that-
3: <laughs> it? Yeah, is I know why it- because. Yeah, I always remember it because right trigger is to shoot, left trigger is to aim. And if you're aiming, you're thinking more about it, which is more of a Paragon thing what? to do. But renegades shoot first, ask questions later. That's how I remember it. Wait, is
2: is Mel breaking or
0: your is, breaking like, is Mel like a green or is she like breaking? Like what? Is-